Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. How's your day going? People always say that all the time. Hey, how's it going? I want to tell you how it's going for the Pac 12 Conference. I want to tell you how it's going for the Blazers. I want to tell you how it's going for the Winterhawks, the Thorns, the Timbers. Oh, yeah, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about how it's going for all of these teams, and I'm going to do it off the top of today's show. Why? Because I don't think there's anywhere else in the state of Oregon or in the Pacific Northwest that you're going to get quite the experience that you get on this radio program. You're going to get stuff you can't get anywhere else. You're going to get in-depth, sourced reporting and commentary, and you're going to get the bald-faced truth. That's the name of the show. My kid asked me the other day, How'd you name the show? Where did you come up with the name for the show? Well, I have to give you, the audience, credit for that. It was like 15, 17 years ago. I don't even know. How many years ago that we went on air and we said, what should we name the show? And a listener called in and said, it's the bald-faced truth. We were going to hold a big poll. We were going to have a vote. It was going to take several weeks. We were going to drag it out like, uh, you know, the marketing and the promotions teams at various media entities like to do major announcement now we just decided on the spot you know what that's the name of the show and we went with it but we're going to do that today Uh, a lot of blazer fans uh excited to see the basketball team break in a sweat some people nervous nervous about the fact that uh, the blazers are you know on television with a seattle-based uh entity media company uh broadcast uh you know, pro- producing and broadcasting their media rights, uh, Root Sports up in Seattle. A lot of people nervous about the Blazers even setting foot in the state of Washington. And we'll start with how it's going for the Blazers. If I'm going to ask the Blazers how it's going or somebody's going to ask me how is it going for the Blazers, I'm going to start by telling you if you're nervous about the Blazers, uh, you know, making inroads in the state of Washington, being around Seattle. For years, people in Portland have wrung their hands, and they've asked, you know, with Paul Allen back in the day owning the team, what does this mean? Would Jody ever move the team? It, would she really do that to Portland? I'm here to tell you that I don't think the Blazers would ever move to Seattle, but I think what the Blazers organization really would love to do from a business standpoint is obviously claim the Seattle TV market for itself. Why would they want to do that? Well, if and when, I should just say when, the NBA decides to expand into Seattle, there would obviously be some kind of compensation for the Portland NBA franchise. Much in the same way that the Washington Nationals had to pay the Baltimore Orioles when they moved into that television market, I think the Blazers are trying to plant the flag and have been for years trying to plant the flag in the Seattle market, claim those broadcast rights all the way to Seattle, all the way to Boise, Idaho, uh, I think in part because they want to claim the rights. There, there's revenue out there. There's, there's an audience out there. But I also think there might be some additional strategy with a Seattle NBA team coming on the scene imminently next year, two years. We should get an announcement from the NBA that 
Las Vegas and Seattle are expansion cities. And for that reason, if you ask me how it's going for the Blazers, I'm not going to wring my hands too much over the idea that the Blazers would pick up the franchise in a successful market and with a successful uh, you know, organization and a fan base and move that franchise up to Seattle. I don't think that's going to happen. But what I think the NBA wants to do is I think the NBA would love to expand into Seattle. And for that reason, I don't think that the other NBA owners would support the Blazers leaving Portland and cannibalizing one of their great opportunities to cash in with a franchise fee that would be in the billions. So don't get too worried about the Blazers playing a game in Seattle or practicing in Seattle or being on TV in Seattle. I think there's a business reason behind it. I think the NBA is on board with it, but I think the Blazers ultimately would just love to get into this season, love to run around on the court and finish uh, you know, in the top six or seven in the standings. And, and uh, I think the upside or the ceiling for the Blazers this season is probably about the sixth seed. As I see it, Stephen, am I spitting truth there, or do you see him any better than six best-case scenario? I think best-case scenario, you're right on. Six is by far the best case. I think there's a chance that they are a play-in team, somewhere between play-in and six, but factors that go into that, Let's as long as we're talking about how's it going for the Blazers, let's do this, Stephen. Damian Lillard, got to be healthy, right? What else needs to go right for the Blazers to be like the sixth seed? Uh, it would be Anthony Simons continuing to play like he did in the 30 games that he started, and I think that's the big question is, can he continue doing it in games that matter? He did it in games where the games didn't matter, right? It was fake games last year. They were trying to lose. He played well for 30 games. Can he do it in games that matter? And then it's also how well does Jeremy Grant fit in because you even saw last night a few plays. The Blazers haven't had a 6'9 athlete like Jeremy Grant in such a long time. You know, he provides a lot of things offensively and defensively, but he's still not like an amazing all-star player. He's an okay shooter, not a great shooter. So how does he fit with Dame and Nurk? I think those are the two big question marks right now, but obviously the defense as well. I like Jeremy Grant. I think uh, you know this team could only get better because he's on it. I have another thing with Simons. I kind of felt like you know some of his success was you know due to the fact that Lillard wasn't on the court. Like, what is he going to be? when he is playing alongside a player who's going to command the shots, going to need the ball in his hands. And uh, I, I am very curious to see how that works out. But how's it going for the Blazers? Eh, it's going all right. Like, you know, if I'm being real to Blazer fan, look, it's exciting that they're going to play some games. If you're in it for the players and you're in it for the entertainment value, uh, I think you're going to be happy with this season. I don't think that the Blazers are going to be awful. I don't think they're going to be great. So I think somewhere between six and, you know, the play-in game is where I see this franchise. Let's pivot to the Oregon Ducks. Dan Lanning, first-year coach. How's it going? Look, I think it's going better now than it was in week one, right? They lose to Georgia 49-3. to They come out of that and I think play pretty well for four straight games. Yeah, it was sloppy on Saturday night against Stanford, but, you know, I'm looking at Oregon and I'm going, hey, you know, they're, they're going to play at Arizona this week. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of points scored in that game. I think Oregon, uh, you know, is going to win that game. A road win in the conference is good. Uh, you know, the last six weeks of the season for Oregon that includes games with Cal, includes a game with Utah and Washington and Oregon State, and you, you know, this is, you know, they get Utah and Washington at home. Uh, I think that's really where we're going to really know what happens this season or what the Ducks are going to be about. But for now, I think I think it's going pretty well for Dan Lanning. Like, you know, given what happened in Week One, I think they have stabilized. I think they're uh, at least playing on offense. Bo Nix seems to be locked in. Uh, Troy Franklin at wide receiver. I just haven't seen, 
a a difference maker at that position probably since the Justin Herbert Dylan Mitchell connection. So I like Bo Nix to Troy Franklin a whole bunch. And Bucky Irving's running the football. I think you can win games with that guy. So I kind I, I like where Oregon is right now. How's it going for Oregon State? Um, you know, going really well at 21 positions. I think defensively, if you're an Oregon State fan, you have to be thrilled with where this football team is. You have to be thrilled with Trent Bray's defense and, you know, the secondary, you know, it, playing a tight game with USC and being in games this season. You have to, I think you have to feel really good about 21 positions. I have questions, that obviously, like everybody else at the quarterback position. We'll dive into that a little bit on today's show. Is Chance Nolan going to start? Is he not going to start? I kind of feel like he still gives him the best chance to win. I'll say that with one caveat. The coaching staff's got to be better. I think Oregon State's coaching staff needs to get back to pounding the rock, run the football, give the ball to Jam Griffin. He looks like he could be that bell cow back that Oregon State always leans on. But I feel like Oregon State's at its best when it is running the football and then using play action off of that. They're not at their best when they have to get into third and seven, third and nine. You know, that's just not a down and distance. The players will say, hey, you know, we're behind the sticks. Like, that's not a down and distance that that Oregon State is comfortable in. It feels dire when they get in third and long. And they, you know, they need to avoid that by running the football. And I, you know, I, and I even think in the red zone, there were, there were a couple opportunities at Utah where they got in the red zone and they tried to throw the football and they had an interception in there. And I would have just rather seen them put Jack Coletto in the Wildcat and let him run the football two or three times and see where, see if you can get five yards. Like, I really do feel like it's going to be an adjustment of mindset for the offensive play callers. And if it's Chance Nolan at quarterback this week, if he really is ready to come back, great. If he's not, you go to Goldbrinson, who is a third-year freshman, and you try to get him ready, and you spend the week giving him the reps. But for Oregon State, I think it's a mixed bag. It's really good at, like, 21 positions and just a disaster at the quarterback position so far this season. Let's pivot to Portland State. Hey, Portland State got a W. Bruce Barnum's going to be coming up in a few minutes. Really nice to see them, uh, you know, blast a team, blow a team off the field. They found a quarterback, it looks like. They're in the meat of the big guy, big sky schedule. But uh, I really feel like the big question for Portland State, frankly, is rooted in Providence Park. Can they please get back in that building? Will someone let them back in that building? And it got me thinking today, with all the troubles that are going on with the Thorns and the Timbers organization and all the, the public pressure and the big disappointment that – that existed with that report that came out and the actions of the front office and ownership, just shaking my head at them. I'm wondering if Portland State, if the time is now for Portland State to get public and go out and say, hey, we want to be back in that building. We need to be back in that building. You need to have an organization in that building that everyone can be proud of. I think Portland State's got a, got a card to play right now at the poker table. And if I'm Portland State's athletic director, John Johnson, I am going public now, going, hey, we need to be back in that building it's the right thing to do. Let us back in. You squeezed us out because I think there would be a lot of public empathy, empathy and public pressure to get Portland State back into Providence Park. Get on that, Portland State. How's it going for the Timbers and the Thorns? I, I, I can't even wrap my head around the disappointment that I have with Merritt Paulson, his management team, the actions since 2015. Uh, I, I think it's embarrassing for the organization. I think it's embarrassing 
for a lot of people who are around the organization. I think it's just absolutely disappointing. Nobody should be subjected to a toxic, hostile work environment. Nobody should be betrayed on multiple levels by your organization, by coaches. What Paul Riley was doing with the Thorns in 2015 was absolutely disgraceful, and the Thorns ought to be ashamed of themselves as an organization. The players, I think you're getting a lot of public support for the players, a lot of people uh, standing with the players. That's all really cool and inspiring. But you have to. we all have to have confidence that the management and the ownership teams around the Thorns and the Timbers are doing the right thing. We need that confidence. We should we should have that confidence in the product. We shouldn't have to be wandering and you know wandering around the stadium wondering what's going on inside that front office and whether or not they're actively betraying players. It's very disappointing. How's it going for the Hillsborough Hops? Well, they're just kind of humming along, playing great baseball. Got a facility improvement in in Hillsborough that's coming down the pipeline. Uh, really, people out there are very excited about what the Hops are doing. Kale Wambacher, the McMurray family, the ownership group that owns the Hops. You talk about uh, people who have it locked in and look like they want to you know, get busy living. Uh, the Hillsborough Hops are in that crowd. Like if you are somebody during the baseball season who's looking for uh, a place to go as a family and watch entertainment and see games, get after it. Same for the Winterhawks. I got friends who went to the Winterhawks games the other night. They had a blast. They took their family. How's it going for the Winterhawks? I'll just ask, you know, my family, the Fernandez family, uh, friends of ours, who went to the game. They had an absolute blast. Uh, Antonio, the dad, sent me some texts during the game saying what fun they were having. They walked, they left the arena holding hockey pucks and smiles on the you know faces of their children. I think it was just a fantastic evening for them. And anybody who ever goes to see the Winterhawks comes away that you know talking and feeling that way. I think it's the you know it's the best kept secret. You talk about worst kept secrets. How about the best kept secret in Portland? How about the Portland Winterhawks? Give him some credit for that. Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, coming up. I won't ask him how he's doing. I already know. He won a football game. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What's going on with this weather? It's like blue skies, beautiful, like 80 degrees. Now it's like, I feel like I'm living at the coast. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football head coach, joining us, coming off a big win. How you doing, coach? Hey, uh, that was a fun one, you know. Blue skies uh, when you win, no matter what. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was yeah. cool. Conference game, you know, they snuck one on us in 19. It still irks me. Uh, on a quarterback slide where you mark the ball when he slides, yada, yada. So we got him this, this year. It was good to get one back. It looks like you got a quarterback who uh, can run the ball, can throw the ball. Uh, did you see that coming? Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about him. I thought I had one in the coffers when Davis left and brought Sasseray, uh, uh in as a true freshman and kind of developed him. He learned the system and um it, it was fun it's been fun to watch him grow it's been fun to watch him take it over it's fun to, and now now it's a really cool time you know as you develop that position it's kind of different you know than old line and linebacker get to the ball uh you know block right and zone use your you know 
you thump them, use your hand. With him, it's how do we manage the game? You know, you watch it. You go back to the game we just won, and I mean, you have to critique it. Even though I mean, he was he, he did a lot of he did a lot right. You know, he got Big Sky Player of the Week and all that hoopla. But you know, going through seeing how to manage the game and change it and uh, move the change in this four minute situation. You know, that's fun. That, that's fun. Dante Sachere. Am I saying that right? Yes, Sachere. It's, it's Sachere. spelled Chichiris, but yeah. Um, Dante Sachere. 22 of 28 for 274 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, passing. Ran 12 times for 128, two touchdowns. Um, you guys led this game, I think it was 28-7 going to the fourth quarter. It got kind of tight at the end. Like, how tight was it? I didn't actually see the game, but I saw it in 35-27. Were you getting nervous at the end, or was it in hand the whole way? No, it, it was, you know, Mike Lund, our SID, talked about that, that a little bit. It, uh, you're always nervous. You know, I, I remember beating North Texas and setting a record for FC over S over FBS, and I was nervous that game. And, you know, we're up six or four, five, whatever, in the third quarter. You're always nervous as a coach because winning college football games, winning, it's hard. It's hard to win a game, and, and everybody's good, and everybody can come back, and, you know, you have to take all those – things in you know what are they going to do now that they're kind of pushing the desperate button you know are they going to go for it on fourth down in their own territory you know leech it up are they going to you know what how are they going to respond are they going to onside kick what onside kick are they going to do so it's a different part of the game it's kind of fun but i like how my team how my players and my coaches responded uh in that situation bruce barnum portland state football coach is our guest uh, coming off a win over Northern Arizona, 35-27, you will now turn to a game. Lincoln is coming to Portland State. This is a team from California, the Oaklanders. Uh, tell us what you know about Lincoln. Well, uh, great question. I mean, they, they just started their program um, a couple years ago, uh, Division Two. I thought I had another game. Uh, the contract didn't get signed. I thought I had an FCS game. Found out in the middle of the summer, so I called some teams, and we got Lincoln in here, and um, we have film on them. We don't have a lot of information, you know. We have their last three games uh, that they played. Uh, I know a coach that used to be there, Al Simmons. He was a Pac-12, Pac-10 bounce around guy that I worked with at Idaho State for a little while, and. Um, not a lot, so we're kind of focusing on us. We know their base coverages, and you can get out of base coverages. Uh, John, you can get your base game plan, you know. Um, so uh, I like where we're at. Our, our kids are locked in, like I said, you know, one and one in conference, um, in a tough-ass conference. Uh, they, I like the path. They're, they're preparing and we had a hell of a practice today. Yeah, give me an idea what you you know because this could be. I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect any opponent, but this feels like a game where you might be able to get some guys some work who don't normally get into games. Am I? Am I? You know, like ideally in the second half you'd like to be in that position. Am I reading too much into that? Knock on wood. I hope so. You know, no, we're, I'm preparing those kids a little bit at the end of practice. I mean, I don't have any secrets. Uh, at the end of practice, we are, uh, last 10 minutes, I brought up uh, some of our young guys just to make sure 
if they have that opportunity, um, uh, that they're you know they're prepared because they've been running scout cards of our opponents. So make sure they're ready to go. Um, whether it happens or not, who knows? You know, we'll have to be uh, in control uh, for that to happen. But uh, we'll, we'll see. But I'll, I'll have them prepared whether it happens or not. I was uh, ranting in the opening segment, and I said, you know what Portland State needs? They need to go public right now. They need to demand that they get back into Providence Park, play one game in there, play two games in there. I think, I think this is the time to go public with it. There's a lot of public pressure out there. Um, you know, I know what, it, what would it mean to you to just get a game, one game in next season there, or two games next season there, just get a foot back in there? Well, well, great question, because that came across my desk last week, uh, John. Not across my desk, but, well, it did. I mean, somebody came in. I had a brass come in and say, hey, it looks like we might get a game in Providence. We're not, you know, next year or the following year, I'm going to try to get this year, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, is that because, you know, Gonzano uh, uh, rooked me into speaking my mind again, you know, about not playing there or what? Well, you know, uh, it might happen. That could happen. Now, I haven't heard. I feel Portland will hate me for this, but I, I, there's something going on there now. I, I haven't had time to read it. I saw protesters uh, on the news. I just haven't. We've been in the office pretty late. I don't, I don't even know what the hell's going on. Sean yeah. has sent me something about the soccer team. I haven't had time yeah. to read it yet. Just, It's really disappointing stuff. I mean, I'll just summarize it in this. Like, you know, it's just an organization losing its way and it's really disturbing disappointing and you know the players didn't deserve that and we can all shake our heads at it and like you know you you run a program and you got to be you got to be the guy like if there's stuff that's going on inside the program it always comes back on you as the head coach yes it does you know and there's there's hard decisions and you know uh, there's disgruntled employee there's everything you know but yeah I'm doing it my way um, and if you don't want to do it my way, uh, you have to make changes. And if you're not doing the right thing, you know, I have to make the – it was harder when, uh, when I first started. I will say that because I don't – I think I was I, – I, uh, I think I was too nice. My leash was too long, you know. But now I have certain things. You, you're going to do this, 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 and this, or, or you're not part of us. And I'm not going to do it right away. I'll warn you and, you know, all that. But you, you have to run it because you're right. It does come back to you and um, uh, when everything's said and done, uh, when I walk away, I'm going to say, you know what, I did it my way and didn't wasn't influenced. But you are initially because you're like, uh, you know, you kind of get caught up in it. But there's a lot to that. And, and i tell you what, <laughs> it, 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 that's, that's the adage or the saying, um, oh, you think you want to be a head coach? Because huh? there is, there's a lot of stuff that comes across your plate. Uh, away from football. Now, I enjoy it. I love conflict. Um, you know, I don't know if all people do, cause, but I invite it. I mean, I, I think it's fun. I think it's better than watching, uh, oh, shoot, I wish I knew a name. What's the name of a reality TV show? Uh, uh, one of those reality TV shows, The yeah. Island or something. The Housewives of Portland State. Right, that's not a good one, John. But there's <laughs> hey, real ones on the I, TV. I got a, I got a question for you. I thought about you yesterday. I saw that story. Did you see the story where the guys who were in the uh, walleye, the walleye competition in Ohio, where they were throwing weights into the fish and cheating the competition, and they got caught? Did you see that? You know, my brother sent me that. My brother what? sent me that. You know, I, I, I thought they checked for that. So I thought, 
I heard, I've never been to one of those tournaments. You know, I'd probably win it, but I've never been to one. I thought they, somebody told me they ran up, because I said, oh, you know, you could just fill it up a split shot. Yeah. They said, oh, no, no, they run them through metal detectors before they weigh them. Somebody told me that, so I don't know how that happened. But um, Loretta Lynn, though, did you hear about that today? Uh, yeah. we, we had Coal Miner's daughter, first yeah. song at practice today. You know, she passed away today, I'm sure. You, uh, you know what, you're, do you listen to country music? Is that your thing? I listen to it all. What do they call it, genres or genre? Yeah. Whatever the type you, of song. I listen you, to it all. You bring country, you, when you like bring a country music song out to practice, you probably got about a third of the guys in the team that'll that'll be uh, be okay with it. And well, I walked out there today, you know, and I said, a person helps me with the music, so I don't know how to do it. Uh, but I tell them what song I want. I said, this one first, please. And then the kids' stuff plays after whatever I say. But I said, this one first, and I'm walking out with somebody, uh, not my age, but, you know, halfway my age, from the players. And I go, you know what? Um, I don't think anybody on this field is going to know, number one, why I'm playing this song. Yeah. And number two, I bet they never listen to it again. And they started arguing with me. Oh, no, they have the <laughs> Internet. And they, they, they know they're at Lynn. And, they know, and they'll hear it. Now they're going to hear it. Now that you played it at practice, I'm like, hey, i got, I, I got to go figure out third down and see it. Did they know it? I didn't ask. Shit, John. Or shoot, John. A lot of, lot of drama, a lot of buildup for that story. And then you didn't, you didn't ask the guys. Uh, hey, I got another question for you. Um, you know, you, you are a guy who does the fishing and you like some country music and whatnot. Do you ever take your guys fishing? Do you, can you do a team fishing trip or is that just too much trouble? I've tried. Uh, you know, on the Americana tour, I called the play, I've called two places. Once we were down in um, uh, San Francisco area, we did the uh, we, we had we wanted to do something. Um, uh, we ended up doing Alcatraz, but I called a fleet, a commercial fleet. Guy had two boats, and I said, "Listen, I, I don't. All I want to do is get a hundred people." He said, oh, I can do that in two boats. I said, uh, you don't have to go way out. I, I don't need tuna. You know, we don't need to lose yeah. the horizon. Just take them out, throw some weights on, uh, you know, 100 yards offshore and let them catch some bottom fish. Say they did it. Well, you know, take some photo ops and we'll be done. But he wanted, they charged me full price. They're like, oh, yeah, we can do that for like $100. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, 50 yards offshore. Don't even start the boat. Just drift out there. Put the anchor down. No, 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 no. We have to. Uh, so it didn't work out. But I tried. I tried there, and I, we tried once at the beach. We had a, instead of, I don't do skit night anymore. We go to the beach, and I tried there once. Uh, but the people I contacted there, they didn't, everybody could find only had one boat. Couldn't fit everybody on there. Let me ask you, too, Loretta Lynn, uh, dead at the age of 90, I, I always see that I'm obsessed with my own my own death. Um, what do you 90 mean? Ninety would ninety would be good for me. Ninety would be good. Oh, I don't when think, you die? Yeah, I don't want to make a hundred. About that, I don't want to go to a hundred. Like I want them to be quality years. You ever think about that? You ever think about what's the you know how many years you want out of this thing? <laughs> I'm more of a day to day guy, I guess. Okay, you I know. need more of that in my life. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm not smart enough. Yeah. You know, my brother, my brother's a, you know, when when we retire at 65 and a half or 67 and a half, you can get another 
$150 a month first. You need to start thinking about that. Actually, my brother and I did, and he does it because that's his world, yeah. investments. Right. I'll be quick because I know you probably got somebody no, 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 famous I'm coming on. Just hanging with you. But he's like, I said, hey, take a look at my stuff, would you? He looks at it. You know, it took him about two and a half minutes. He goes, well, he says, you know, little brother, he says, you're, you're going to be able to, like, live in a shack, you know, and and fish, you uh -huh. know, and that's what and you live, want, and live off the fat of the land. But he's saying it like, you know, you don't have a shot at you know a peaceful retirement. I said, Kevin, all you need is a boat and some water. He goes, you know, and we're different. Don't get so me wrong. I go to, I go to, you know, I go to. What's one? I'll get in trouble for this now. I go to Albertsons. He goes to Tiffany's. You know, yeah. it's just a different lifestyle. Hey, uh, don't you get like uh, retirement from the university system or something like that? It's cliche I summers do. off, all that. You know, I do. You get retirement, but in this profession, how I started, my dad was not a coach. That helps. You know, once I got into it. Uh, and you have to, uh, I started when you really had to pay your years. I mean, yeah. I, God knows how long. Uh, actually, somebody in here, in this town, did an article on me. When I came back, I was at a school called American International College. We came back and played Portland State, believe it or not. And some guy <laughs> from Southwest Washington, the old Columbian paper over there, did an article. And the headline, I'll never, somebody sent it to me, I go, Oh, that that that's impressive. It said something like uh, Barnum gets his first full-time job, <laughs> and I was like 30 years old. I'm like, that's just you know. Send that you... to your parents. Right. Hey, I got a job. Yeah, so you know, that's that's when I started getting retirement. I mean, I'm not like these young people who graduate. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not smart like you. I don't think, okay, 90 or 91. When do I want to have that yeah. last cast on the water? <laughs> Yeah, well, see, I, I, I like that you know what you would like to be doing. Yeah, you know, uh, and again, who, who knows where this life takes us. But yeah, uh, Would you want to know, like I've had people ask me, would you want to know if somebody could tell you, here's how long you're going to live, would you want that answer? I never thought about that either. Um, see, that's no, why you don't take me shoot, fishing. I would go, no, I think that would change me. Yeah. Uh, I'm all right where I'm at. I, I would... I don't drink. I might start drinking. I don't, you know, <laughs> don't go to movies anymore. I might go to a movie. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah. There you I go. don't want to know that, no. See, that's why you don't take me fishing, because you get me in the boat. This is what we end up doing. I end up talking you in a knot. Yeah, you know, you might be, hey, uh, why don't you wait here for a minute? I'm going to take a test run. Stay on, the, stay on the dock just for a minute, John. I'll be right back. <laughs> and here, here's go. some sandwiches. Yep. <laughs> right. Go go around the point and you know fish for a couple of hours. Hey, the guy, gosh darn boat broke down. I'm sorry. All right, you you, you beat Northern Arizona. You got yes. Lincoln. You got Lincoln at home Saturday, Hillsborough Stadium, two o'clock kick for people who want to check it out. Family two home, day. Family two, day. Yeah, two home games in a row. Saturday, Saturday for people who want to make plans. Lincoln and then the Weber State game at home. At Portland State working on a win streak. Go get it. Ready to go. Thanks for having us, son. You bet. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach. Steven, would you want to know? Uh, no, I don't want to know. Yeah, but what if, like,
I kind of would want to know. What if like that answer is, hey, you got like you only have like four years? It would change uh, your daily habits. It would change your plan. You'd go, okay, I got to go ring what I can out of the next four years. That's true, but you know, my wife told me this: is you should just try to live your life just to its fullest already. So if I like you want that answer, you somebody said, hey, it's next week. You should just live every week like that. Yeah, definitely. There you go. Bruce Barnum, good stuff. Uh, again, they'll be home against Lincoln Saturday, October 8th, this Saturday, 2 o'clock. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Good stuff from Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, in the last segment. If you are a subscriber who listens to the Konzano and Wilner podcast, you heard our interview that posted this morning with Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. He had a couple of interesting things to say. He talked about Oregon and Washington and said that he does not believe that it will pencil out for the Big Ten Conference to ever or at least in this cycle, invite Oregon and Washington, I shouldn't say ever, uh, in this four- or five-year cycle, to invite Oregon, Washington, Stanford, or anybody else into the Big Ten. He said he thought Notre Dame was the only school that made sense. He also pointed out that he thought San Diego State was the only expansion candidate uh, in the land that made sense for the Pac-12 conference to add. So he, I think, expects that the Pac-12 will extend an uh, invitation to San Diego State and again, Bob Thompson's a guy who's done a whole bunch of media rights deals. He's negotiated these deals first as a cable provider, then as the later as the president of Fox Sports Networks. But we got on the topic of bundles. Your cable provider, the bundle that you get when you buy, hey, I want the uh, basic package plus the ESPN or the sports and all that. And um, he had some interesting things to say about what he thinks is going to happen with ESPN and others, as more and more people are cord-cutting, using Amazon and Apple, and really streaming that content directly. Here's Bob Thompson, the former president, retired president of Fox Sports Networks. Listen to what he had to say here about kind of the the uh, industry as a whole. Yeah, you're right. You know, I made a lot of money, first as a cable operator selling the bundle to people, and then secondly as a uh, network executive selling bundles to cable operators. And, you know, it really, it came up out almost out of nowhere. I mean, that's what it appears like, but it's definitely here. I think we're getting towards uh, an inflection point. The height of the bundle on satellite cable providers was at about 100 million, 105 million. I think we're the tops for, for some of the channels. We're down to like 72 million and bleeding at the rate of about 1.92 million per quarter. So if you look at that, it's clear clear that there's a sea change. And I think so much more, so much so that in a couple of years at the current rate, I would not be surprised to see ESPN have a uh, concurrent feed that runs, you know, as part of ESPN Plus. Right now, ESPN Plus is, um, you know, product that by and large doesn't air on ESPN. 
and vice versa. So I think you will see a, a channel on the ESPN Plus app that will be basically a simulcast of the feed that you would get if you were getting it through DirecTV or Comcast. Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. Let's talk about what that means and how it fits into the Pac-12's plan. Because, you know, we, we heard from George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, and, you know, the Pac-12 is now negotiating its media rights with ESPN, Apple, Amazon, Fox, CBS, others. Who knows who they're talking to? Probably talking to them all, including Turner, who's been kicking the tires, too, on college football. But the Pac-12, I think, ideally, wants to have the partnership with ESPN. And then I think it wants to take that Pac-12 network content that you all groan at when you see that your football team is playing on the Pac-12 networks on a Saturday. You go, what? You go, oh, you're going to have to troubleshoot that. You're going to have to do a digital obstacle course. You're going to have to find a friend who has FUBU, get the login, simulcast to your regular TV screen. Like We've all heard those nightmare stories, and I think the Pac-12 has asked you and me and our neighbors and friends, they've asked too much of us over the years. So I think ideally what Bob Thompson is saying, like, hey, streaming is becoming so mainstream, so to speak, that you, he's not going to be surprised to see ESPN go, look, there's a whole bunch of cord cutters out there that aren't getting ESPN in another way, that we can just put the regular ESPN programming inside of ESPN Plus as a separate simulcast, and you're going to reach a bunch of people who are probably millennials and younger who are going to say, that's how I'm going to get my ESPN. Likewise, I think the Pac-12 is approaching an inflection point where it is going to be very acceptable for them to go to Amazon or Apple with that you know, Pac-12 network content, again, that everybody groans at, and go, look, we want, to, we want wide distribution with that. we got a distribution issue anyway. People know how to find Amazon. They know how to find Apple. And, oh, by the way, this is how you boost your per-university media rights revenue from about $30 million to maybe 35 or $38 million per university. That's how you get it done if you're the Pac-12 conference. But the, but the byproduct in the end, and it's what Bob Thompson was saying in that clip, is that you know we're at this point where fewer and fewer people are doing the bundle. And more and more people are going... I'm just going to have Amazon Prime or I'm going to have Hulu or I'm going to have Apple TV and or I'm going to go direct to HBO or I'm going to you know we're all kind of piecemealing it together and in a lot, in some cases frankly I think it's more cumbersome and not cost effective like when you look at the bottom line every month you know you're paying for Netflix you're paying for Hulu you're paying for this paying for that you might look back and go hey you know it was better back in the days when I was just a cable subscriber but he's basically signaling to us as a media executive who tracks these things that fewer and fewer people at the rate of 1.9 million dollars per or million subscribing households per year they're seeing that sort of attrition or quarter he said quarter 1.92 million per quarter uh, you know they're seeing the audience gravitate evolve pivot whatever you want to call it towards streamers and away from linear television so if you're the Pac-12 you're really going look if you're if you're losing about 2 million households per quarter let's just say you lose 8 million a year you're talking about like how many years are we talking about before streaming overtakes the cable subscribers and the bundlers and and such and 
I kind of feel like that number is out there, and the consultants probably know it, but just spitballing here, it feels to me like it would be like about three to four years from now where you're going to see a significant line of demarcation where people just sort of pivoted all the way towards streamers. Feels like it's, I'm going to say like 36 months from now that, you know, your your mom's not going to kind of be overwhelmed by the thought or the idea of streaming something on Amazon or Apple. Like, I think we're getting there. And the audience is also aging, right, as this is happening. So you're getting, you know, people who are more used to having that ability and having that technology in their household and they know what to do with it. So I think, you know, I wrote today at johnconzano.com and my takeaway from the interview, the interview was like 50 minutes of gold, but the my big takeaway, uh, one of the big takeaways was that the the irony is, you know, what do you do when you see your team announced as, hey, the game's going to be on the Pac-12 network? We all groan. We groan because there's a there's a distribution issue. Are we going to be able to find it? How, how hard is it going to be for me to get that game? Can I watch it? You know, do I have to go to somebody's house? Do I have to go to a sports bar? Like, you know, can I, you know, can I get it? And then the second part of it is those games and the kickoff times for those games are generally not great. So you have late kickoffs and you got crappy distribution on the Pac-12 networks, which you combine those things. The takeaway is when people see Pac-12 network, you have a bad feeling. I have a bad feeling. And it's no fault of, like, Yogi Roth, Ashley Adamson, Nick Aliotti, uh, Nigel Burton. It's no fault of all the great producers, all the great directors, the camera operators, the people who work behind the scenes at the Pac-12 Network. They're all really talented people, and the programming's pretty damn good. But the problem is you just can't get the games. You can't find them. And there's a brand, a broken brand with the Pac-12 Network. So I think the irony is... That the, the fact that we hate the late kickoffs, we, we don't like the Pac-12 network, but the irony is those are the things that are going to save the Pac-12. I shouldn't say save it. Those are the things that are going to pull the Pac-12 together and help stabilize it because I think they're going to be able to get a deal with Amazon or Apple for the Pac-12 network content. Now, it's only 36 football games per year. The rest of it would be women's basketball, some men's basketball, baseball, softball, gymnastics, whatever shoulder programming that they come up with. Uh, But I think it's really interesting to kind of think about it in that context because I think, you know, you and I probably see the Pac-12 networks and we groan, but I think about 36 months from now when it's on Amazon or on Apple and it's available and uh, the universities are going, hey, we got an extra 5 or $8 million a year because of the Pac-12 networks. This thing, you know, the fact that we're producing it, uh, it you know it's printing money, um, and that's the 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 secret inside Amazon and Apple is they don't they're not equipped to produce live sports events. They're just not equipped to do it. Even the MLB games that are on Apple are produced by the MLB Network, and the MLS soccer games that are going to be on Apple will be produced by Major League Soccer. So I think it's really interesting to kind of go, hey, the Pac-12's already got the production arm in there that they can just sell this ready-made and packaged to Apple and Amazon, boom, done. And here is the sad or only, only maybe so sad it's funny anecdote. I was in Arizona at Arizona State at a football game about five, six years ago, and I was talking to Larry Scott, then the commissioner of the Pac-12 conference in the press box at Sun Devil Stadium. And I asked him, I said, why not put the Pac-12 network on Apple TV? 
This is a guy who lived in the Bay Area. You know what he said to me? He said, what's Apple TV? I'm just going to leave it right there. Leave it here. Big Splash next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. A whole bunch of stories uh, in the news. These are not our big splash. Uh, Russell Wilson uh, is apparently doing well, and he expects to play on Thursday night football for the Broncos. Keep an eye on that. Phoenix Suns also likely to fetch a record sale price for an NBA team. Keep an eye on that if you're a Blazer fan. The Brooklyn Nets were sold uh, in 2019 for $2.35 billion. But the investment bankers are now saying the Phoenix Suns are going to blow that out of the water. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, if you are a Blazer fan, this could be good because maybe it'll spark uh, Jody Allen to finally go, hey, maybe it's time to sell the team. We'll uh, figure out what's going on with that. But that brings us uh, to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, there's a lot of unrest and a lot of disappointment around the Portland Thorns organization. Uh, Merritt Paulson, the majority owner of the team, issued a statement saying that he will be removing himself from all Thorns-related decision-making. Also, Gavin Wilkinson and Mike Golub will step aside. All Thorns-related decisions will be handled by Heather Davis, the general counsel of the Thorns. Uh, will that be enough? I don't know. I'm disappointed with what happened to the Thorns. I'm shaking my head at what is an institutional breakdown, and I'm left feeling like more than just I'm sorry is due from the Portland Thorns. I don't blame you if you're disappointed either. That's the big splash. Coming up, we'll talk about Oregon State football, the Pac-12. Anna will join us. Shannon Sharp with some sharp statements for Antonio Brown. And what's going on with Tom and Giselle? We'll find out later in the show. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, was asked about Chance Nolan. Is he going to be the guy this week, or will they turn to Ben Gulbrinson? third year redshirt freshman here's what jonathan smith said about chance we'll see how he looks in practice he's going to need to practice some um and so we'll we'll make that call at the end of the week the, the one quarter he did play what, what did you think of of his throws first interception i think the the db makes a better play than the route we ran um and so we're trying Trying to get him out of his back pedal. He sat on it. Chance is keeping the safety in the middle of the field. He's throwing the thing on time, trusting a one-on-one -on -one matchup. The guy made a better play than our than the route we won. The second one, did not like that decision at all. He's squatting on it. He's got to recognize that the corner's squatting, get to another another option. Ben will get majority of the ones reps, and if Chance can't go, I can see it's going to be better. 
It'll be Ben Gilbertson or will it be Chance Nolan? I know what I think. Nick Daschle, Oregon State beat reporter, covers the team. Follow him on Twitter. Read him on Oregon Live. Here's Nick Daschle. Um, let's talk about Chance Nolan. It feels like feels to me like let's let, we'll deal with whether or not he's the guy in a minute. But feels like he's lost his confidence, Nick. Like, can you easily get that back? You know, I, I asked I asked Brian Lindgren about um, Chance today. I, I said you got you know five games now of video on him. Has he improved over a year ago? Because the numbers say he hasn't. And and you know Brian said, well, you have the last six quarters of you know they've not been good, but you know he I think he's still backing his guy. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, he, 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 the Boise State game, he I mean he looked like a diff, he looked like an improved quarterback, and he's just sort of flattened out from there. He, he makes five or six plays a game that you just you just go, what, what are you doing? I mean, some of those interceptions he's throwing, you, you can see it coming before the ball comes out of his hand. It's just like bad chance wants to come out. But, I mean, he does give he does give Oregon State something that the other quarterbacks don't offer, and that's that's the ability to run a little bit. And, it, and he tried to run a little bit on, on Monday, or Monday, Saturday, and that's actually where he ended up getting hurt. I, you know, I don't know where – I don't – I think they haven't. I don't think the coaches have lost a ton of confidence in him, but I think they're a little bit on the fence with him just because he because he's been so mistake prone of late. I also, I you know, I've seen him play well, and we've seen him play well against co- good competition. In in, but it feels like you know the interceptions against USC. Then he comes out in that opening quarter. And, you know, I know they're saying neck injury or what, but I kind of was wondering, would, would he have been benched anyway? The coaches said no. Now they turn to Ben Goldbrinson in that game, who is put into a tough circumstance against a good Utah team in a hostile environment. Can Goldbrinson take some steps forward this week in practice that would make him, uh, you know, a serviceable starter? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I think, he was on the field for five drives um, Saturday, and everyone ended in the red zone. Now, none of them ended in the end zone, but he did drive them down. He did drive Oregon State, you know, a fair amount when he was in the game. He's he's a little bit different, you know. I, I think I think they're intrigued to see what what he could do because he he definitely has the best arm on the team. He's kind of a combination. He's kind of in between Tristan Jebbia and Chance Nolan as far as mobility goes. He he can move a little bit, but I mean, as you saw, as you as you saw on the, on the run that he made after Tyjon Lindsay, you know, it's not like he's super fleet of foot, but he, but he can run well enough. It, it, it would be interesting to see what happens when he if he's given a full week of practice with a game plan that fits him against. You know, a Stanford team that's not great on defense. See what he can do because it's one thing to play against Utah cold, you know, uh, coming off the bench and playing, you know, against a Stanford team that you've got that you you're completely prepped to play. I, you know, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to see what he could do if, if they end up going with him, and I don't know where they're going to go at this at this moment yet. There was, you know, there was a moment on Saturday where. I think everybody was watching the quarterback play and went, gosh, they just 
they're they're just not performing at that position. The more I thought about it, though, Nick, in the last 48 or 72 hours, I kind of wonder why the coaching staff got away from running the football. Why, do you have an answer there? Like, why did – I'm sure when they watched the film, they went, gosh, we should have just stayed with the run like we did on that second drive. Well, I, I, I did put that to Jonathan yesterday about, you know, because – you know how coaches are after games. You know they want to blame themselves, but they really don't want to blame themselves. And so I, you know, asked them, give me some specifics on, you know, what you could have done to put the team in better positions. And I brought up the running game, and he said when they went into the Utah game, they felt like they needed to be explosive because it would be hard to drive the field consistently and score touchdowns. So that's why they were throwing in some of those situations early in the game, but. I did ask, then I did ask about the red zone where, you know, I thought those were situations to run. And I, he didn't come right out and say it, but I kind of got the impression that if he's to do it all over again, they probably would have tried to run there a little bit more because they, they never got into the position where they could have got Jack Coletto on the field. And that's, you know, that's kind of where you want to get if you can. Um, but yeah. And I did, and I asked Brian today about offensive identity, you know, it's kind of an overused cliche, you know, what, what's your offensive identity? I mean, does it really matter? And it really doesn't, but, but this team has none. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if they want to run, if they want to throw John, uh, Brian said they want to be balanced, but I mean, if you can't throw it, you're really not balanced. So I think their best, you know, their best asset probably is running the ball, but they haven't, found a real explosive back yet to do that so I, I if you want to be a running team i think you got to have some explosiveness and they haven't got they haven't got that part of the of that game figured out so you know it's something that you know that, that i'm sure they're working on over these next couple games nick dashell covers oregon state you can read him on oregon live uh, dashell they'll go to stanford on saturday they get the late game eight o'clock espn I actually feel like this is the ideal matchup for what they're going through. I think they could probably line up, limit the game plan, run the football. Yeah, I just think they're better than Stanford in a lot of ways. Maybe at, you know, uh, maybe at you know a lot of key positions, but they're not better at quarterback. Um, do will we see Chance Nolan? My my hunch is that they're probably going to let him get healthy and go with Gulbrinson. That's my hunch. That's where I'm leaning. If I had to bet it, do you have a hunch? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, right now, I'd say, I'd say, I, I'm, I'm more, I'm more thinking it's going to be Goldbrinson the chance only because, I mean, when you cut, when you say neck injury, yeah, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to risk that. And so, without being at, you know, well, able to be going to practice, and without Jonathan telling me specifically, he's, he's that's what he's going to do. I just kind of, I kind of think that's where they're leaning, but I mean, it's that's just a guess, and and but yeah, you're you're, you're probably you're probably onto something. The defense has been good. Is has it really been that good? Given you know, I looked at the score, I wrote that, and then I looked at the score and said, "Gosh, they gave up a lot of points to Utah." But a lot of that was due to the fact that the offense was turning the ball over. And anytime you have you know four turnovers via pass in the game, I think you're putting your defense at a tough position, but is it wrong to say the defense is playing well? No, they're playing well. I mean, I think they played well against Utah. Utah only drove the field. They only scored two touchdowns on drives. The other ones, the other four came on 
you know, a pick and, and three drives are inside of 40 yards. I mean, the, the offense put them up against the wall in, in a lot of cases on, on Saturday. And then, you know, they come off the USC game where they were, you know, they were lights out for the most part. And they've been that way. You know, Fresno had, had its way at times against them. But, you know, Boise, they're really good. No, this defense is really good. I think it's one of the probably top three or four in the conference. And I mean, that's what Utah thought too. They they came away impressed with Oregon State's defense. And you know, I think I, I think Utah came away thinking if we didn't get those picks, this game would have this would have been right to the wire. So um, yeah, no, it's a defense they can lean on a little bit, but you you, you, you got to get something out of the offense, and you can't keep turning it over. That's that's. Just, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. You, you can't keep turning it over like they have been. Last two weeks, you got to see Utah and USC. Utah and USC will play a week from Saturday in Salt Lake City. Given what you've seen, what do your eyes tell you about that matchup? I think I think Utah is, I don't want to say considerably better, but I, I, I would have to lean to, to Utah. You know, after watching USC play Oregon State, I was a little bit, a little bit on the fence about them. And then, I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't think USC completely had its way with Arizona State last week either. I mean, I, I thought Caleb Williams was scrambling and made a lot of plays that you know you wouldn't think a great offense would need to make. And so, if he's having to face Utah's defense, which is probably you know, one of the top two in the conference, maybe, and they, they definitely have the best secondary in the conference. I mean, that's going to be tough. That's a tough ask. And and USC's, USC's defense is, is good, but it's certainly not great. And I can see Utah, if they can get their running game going, I could see them winning by 10 to 14 points. Yeah, I think Utah by double digits. I, I just, I've been, I've been on the anti-USC thing for weeks I got I have some respect for Caleb Williams. I think like he he is a good player. I think Jordan Addison's great, but I think Rice Eccles Stadium on a Saturday, it, I've seen some ambushes there, and I I kind of feel like USC is going to get ambushed. I I just see that's where I come back to Oregon State and teams like Oregon State and Utah. USC to me feels like a team that's just kind of put together with band aids right now because they have so many transfers. Yeah. And it wouldn't take much for that team to, to fall apart. Whereas Utah's got a lot of the same guys that have been playing there a while. Oregon State's got a lot of the same guys playing there for a while. They know who they are. I, I don't see the one of those teams, you know, falling apart very much. Whereas I don't know. If USC if USC was to lose a game, they might lose three right away. Nick Dashell, I appreciate you. Good stuff from you. Appreciate you giving us your time. All right, we'll see you. There he is. I really like Utah against USC. But I first, I need to see Utah beat UCLA. They've got UCLA Saturday. And uh, the other game that I think is the second most interesting game in the conference, like if I want to rank most interesting to least interesting, Utah at UCLA 1230 on Fox on Saturday is the most interesting game to me. It's UCLA at home. It's a Utah team. Two ranked teams. Uh, it's Utah team that is everybody thinks is the best team in the conference. I certainly think they are. Uh, and they have a big date with USC. Will they look past UCLA? I don't think so, based on UCLA's record in the home field. 
But that's an interesting game to me. That's number one. The second most interesting game this week to me is 430 on Fox right after Utah-UCLA. Washington State at USC. I kind of like Washington State in the points in this game, but I think USC is going to win it. But I also just kind of want to see that matchup because I'm learning more about USC every week. I People came away from the Arizona State game last week you know, saying, oh, gosh, they're flawed, they're flawed, they're flawed. I, I, we've known they're flawed. But I came away with an appreciation for the medal and the resilience that USC showed in the game because there were some moments where they could have folded, and they didn't. And Caleb Williams took some shots in that game. And I left that game with more respect for him than maybe I had at any point of this season. Now they're going to get Washington State, and I think Washington State is very decent. And it'll be interesting to me to see how USC performs knowing that they've got a game next week that is huge. And Washington State's going to fly around in that game. You just know it. So those are the two most interesting games. After that, I'm, it's kind of a muddled mess for me. Washington's at Arizona State. I'm interested in Washington's side of that story. I think they'll win that game. Oregon is at Arizona. I think Oregon uh, has just got too much talent to lose, even in Tucson, which is, you know, we've seen that environment eat some coaches up. I don't think Arizona's there, not yet with the talent. I think they're like two years away from being a team that could be dangerous. But Oregon's going to win that game. And then Oregon State at Stanford might, Oregon State at Stanford might be my third most interesting game. Because I just want to see what Oregon State's going to do. Like, will they find a quarterback? Will it be Ben Goldbertson? But Stanford's the perfect patsy. You know, if you, you if anybody saw the Oregon game last week, and I stayed up and watched that thing, you, Stanford's just a patsy. They're just, they're not dynamic in any one facet. Tanner McKee's their best player. They can't protect him. I, I think Oregon State's defense is going to feast on Saturday night. But... I'm interested to see how Oregon State looks at that one position that they've been so bad at in the last couple weeks. Who plays quarterback? And against a Stanford team that's very gentle, can that person look good? Because Bo Nix, he looked terrific against Stanford. Everybody who plays Stanford looks great. Will Ben Gulbrunson start at quarterback for Oregon State? That's where I'm leaning. I think so. I think they're going to give Chance Nolan the week off. I think it's going to be Gulbrunson's team against Stanford. I could be wrong there. I'm just going on hunch and, and reading the tea leaves. Anna stepping into the studio next. So much to talk about. Shannon Sharp with some sharp comments for Antonio Brown. Tom and Giselle, what is going on? That and so much more. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. I want to talk about Tom Brady and Giselle. I want to talk about Shannon Sharp and Antonio Brown. For people who don't know, um, Tom Brady and Giselle are uh, going through a rough patch. Is it escalated beyond a rough patch, Anna, in your mind? Uh, yeah, it's a little, you know, it's gone a little step further. Uh, do you believe the reports? I mean, have they retained counsel? Are they are they divorcing? Like, uh, you know? well, the reports so far, according to page six, welcome to TMZ.com, uh, is that Giselle has hired a divorce attorney and Tom Brady is looking for one. That's a bad sign. That and you a- know, when I read it, it just doesn't. You like it makes me sad. Like yeah. I root for marriages. You know, I yeah. root for marriages to yes. work out. 
and I even root for them to work out. Like, just because they've gone to this step doesn't mean that they might not reconcile in the end, right? Yeah. But Well, for people who don't know, Antonio Brown, a couple things with Antonio Brown. I want to give the full context here. We all know about Antonio Brown's troubles with the NFL, troubles with the Raiders, you know, taking his uniform off, second chance, third chance, whatever. Um, there was uh, there was a uh, video posted uh, of an incident at a hotel in Dubai that showed Antonio Brown, uh, who got way too close for, for comfort with a woman there. He apparently, uh, you know, exposed himself. He was kicked out of the hotel. And, uh, you know, on the video that went viral, he's on the edge of the pool, put his put his hands in the pool deck, lift himself out of the water, stuck his butt in the woman's face both times. She turned away and laughed it off, but uh, he got kicked out of the hotel. Then Antonio Brown uh, posted about the Tom Brady Giselle incident. I guess we'll call it that. He posted a photograph on Instagram of himself hugging Giselle. Now, he lived with the Bradys for a little while, and he basically um, is turning on Tom Brady here. Is that the best way to put it? Uh, that's what we can only gather. Yeah. Stephen, you know? Sean, turning on Tom Brady? Is there a better way to describe this? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, because Tom Brady has been kind of the one guy that has had Antonio Brown's back, and now he's posting these things, so, you know. I think he's really turned his back on him. Yeah, that's that's not something you post for a uh, a friend of yours uh, that's going through a divorce potentially. Okay, so Shannon Sharp, I'm gonna play this clip. Shannon Sharp went after Antonio Brown today, and I think it's worth playing this clip and listening to it. AB is a clown, and he's been a clown for the longest. He's done in the NFL. Nobody's gonna waste their time. No. And 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 last night took the cake for me. I'm done. Everybody should be done after he posted. Tom Brady's wife and post and said what he said. That man took your ass in. That man revived your career. Nobody was going to give you a chance. And you take a shot at this man's wife. You do that, AB? I fought you at home. Because every last one, because every time someone try to correct AB, all y'all do is like, hey, let that man live. Let that man do this. Let that man do that. And that man is harming himself. And instead of somebody saying, you know what, Shannon, you're right. I wish somebody would get with A.B. and tell A.B. to slow it down. I don't want you to tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what I need to know. Tell me what can help me become a better man, yeah. a better person, a better player. As opposed to like, yep, skip the egg of the man on. The man naked, got his ass in somebody's face, taking his private off. And they said, yeah, A.B., yeah, A.B., you see this? Instead of saying, A.B., fight me, what you, I mean, me personally, like, what, what the hell you doing? Bro, you about to get him. You in Dubai. You lucky they throw his ass in jail. That's what I would have done with my homeboy. I ain't got no homeboy. Bro, hey, we, we gone. Because I'm not finna go to jail. For you. I'm not going to jail for you. And people at home, I want y'all to stop this. When someone, when a, a black person is trying to correct another black person, stop talking this bull jive about somebody trying to bring them down. Y'all want people just let bull jive go. Keep, keep, oh yeah, keep, no. It's wrong. And it's okay to correct them when they're wrong because we 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 see where this is heading. Stop stop this this notion that man Shannon you shouldn't have said that but he was wrong. I know that but don't say it. What?
I'm free. I'm free. Is everybody happy? You ought to see his Facebook live just going crazy with likes and mentions and click. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah, AB free. Man, look at AB. AB is old man. He's showing he don't need the man. They just co-signing and he eating it up. And how much money do you leave on the table? 30 million. You a damn fool. Who, who does that? You hustling backwards. The objective is to get as much money as you can. Not say, you know what, well, I don't want 30 million. I want 5 million. There it is. Shannon Sharp. I like Shannon Sharp. I liked him when he was a player. I liked him in the locker room. I covered the NFL when he was in the NFL with the Ravens. And uh, did, you know, I like him because he will say what's on his mind. Is he saying the truth there, Anna? Like, are there enablers? Is the public an enabler in this Antonio Brown story? Um, no, I don't know that we're enabling him. I mean, you know, he's making the decision to to do these unwise things like exposing himself. But it sounds to me like his behavior, his erratic behavior has, you know, has gone on for quite a while. Yeah, this isn't new. Stephen and Sean, you got a take on this. Is Shannon Sharp spitting truth? Yeah, spitting truth. You know, and he mentioned, of course, you know, no one's going to give him another chance. And I think that's pretty obvious. Um, but he does eat it up because anytime we give him attention, like he loves it, right? And he's like, he's trying to become a rapper and now the NFL guys when they score a touchdown are doing his dance that he does. And so that just feeds into his ego even more. So I don't, I mean, it's hard to just say, Hey, let's wipe him off the face of the earth and not acknowledge that he's even alive. But at the same time, as soon as we give him attention, he's going to you know thrive under that and really enjoy that. I don't think the story ends well for Antonio Brown. It's already taken a bad turn. You know, I don't think he's better off than he was, so to speak, four years ago. Uh, I don't, you know, I think he's left money on the table. I think he's embarrassed himself. You know, he's obviously trying to promote the rap song through the comment that he made on the Giselle picture because those are lyrics from his song mm-hmm. that he posted. Sean? Yeah, I think um, it's it's troubling the how much attention he's getting because ever since... Um, you know, I hate to say this, but ever since some really bad hits he's taken uh, in the NFL, his, his his behavior has spiraled quite a bit. And so uh, I don't think it's something that we should be, you know, drawing attention to because this could be much deeper than someone that just is, you know, is displaying bad behavior. This could this could very well be a, a CTE thing. Should we not be talking about this, Anna? Should, should we be ignoring this? I don't know that we should be ignoring it necessarily or not talking about it, but... I do wonder, like, for those of us, it's just sort of like conventional wisdom. We're looking at that situation going, something's really not right here. Like, somebody who would behave in this way and do these things, like, instead of just fully making light of it and go, look at crazy Antonio Brown, like, I mean, I think there are bigger questions to ask here. I know that the discussion around him has also been around his mental health, like, Sean, I know you're saying CTE, but like, and I'm not, I'm no psychologist, I'm no therapist, but like, this is, this is behavior that is um, symptomatic of bipolar disorder. And uh, I, I am familiar with that, with, you know, family members and whatnot. And so like, my greater concern is who's watching out for Antonio Brown? And like, is he medicated? Is he in any sort of treatment, has anyone even discussed that with him? I know he said in the past, my mental health is totally fine, but yeah, you know, that, I, that's the bigger question. I think he needs me. a second opinion on that. Uh, Sam's in Vancouver. Phone number is 503-417-7575. Sam, go ahead. Hey, so there's, there's a couple of different issues here. Number one, 
Um, I got to disagree with Anna about the enabling thing. Um, no, we did not enable him to make this post, but the fact that we are now discussing it, and if Antonio Brown gets any wind of this, he's got that mental health issues and capacity that he will see this and that will enable him more. I think that the last point that Anna just made was a very good point in the fact of being me being personally as somebody that suffers from mental health issues um, with him do, we need to enable him to have more talk about the, the help that he needs instead of talking about the post that he made with Giselle or what he yeah. did in Dubai um, or what have you. Um, th there's, there's two parts of the enabling where people are enabling by watching the posts and, and see, he sees the clicks and sees all this stuff. But I don't think there's enough out there to enable him to get the mental health that he really needs, which is a very, very tough subject right now, which I think that people do not focus enough on. There's a lot of issues that are going on in this world, but I don't think mental health is really brought up enough. And we need to enable AB to get the mental health yeah. that he needs. And yeah, I think it's really hard sometimes when somebody, we can all see there's something wrong, and you know the person who's actually suffering, that's a, that's a big obstacle to get to Antonio Brown. Um, I also, I get what the caller's saying about, like, hey, we shouldn't be talking about it, but I... But I actually think like there is some good that can come from a conversation like this. If somebody is out there and who's struggling or maybe, you know, we all have had friends or family members who just for whatever reason will go off the rails. I just I think it's important to kind of talk about this stuff and and deal with it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I get what that caller is saying. There's part of me that doesn't want to, you know, give light or spotlight that horrific post and, you know, the timing of it, given what Tom Brady and Giselle are going through. It's completely insensitive. But I do I do think there's value in assessing yeah. it and, and looking at it and going, gosh, you know, if if we're all – it's like if we're all looking at it and going, e. There's yeah. something wrong there. It, my hope well, is that there is someone in Antonio Brown's inner circle who can get to him, good luck. who can have a real conversation with him, because I know in the past he has said, I don't have mental health issues. Like, you can't force somebody, you know, into treatment or into therapy unless they are, Im like, imminently going to harm themselves or someone else. The pattern here from his decisions with the Raiders to walking off the field with the Buccaneers, the stuff he's said, the, you know, exposing himself in Dubai, other incidents he's had with other altercations with people, the post about Giselle. I mean, it's all consistently erratic behavior. Like there is something awry here. Kevin's and Sandy. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, yeah, well, one thing I – one thing I think was uh, telling was uh, one of the very first um, incidents that uh, that occurred was in Miami that I think kind of gets overlooked is when he dumped that TV out of the hotel and he almost uh, dropped it on a father and his kid and he I think he settled for eighty thousand dollars but that doesn't get talked about a lot but like since then there's been like even when he was playing there was a pattern of incidents that had begun even before he signed that fifty million dollar contract with the Raiders. Um, so I think it's just been a slow, um, just a slow process of, of a man just falling apart, and it's sad to watch. I mean, from 
throwing away generational money, $50 million. I think people just assume because these guys play football and they have a lot of money that they're okay. I mean, you know, I, and I think that what the other caller said is not talking about it. Well, how do you not talk about it? With, I mean, you know, the guy's uh, a celebrity. And yeah. I think that some of it's on purpose. But some of it is not. I think he has some serious mental health problems, and I think he needs help. But I think this could end really bad for him, and I hope it doesn't. Yeah, it kind of feels that's the track that it's on. Maurice is in Portland. Maurice, go ahead. Do you have the floor? Hey, John. Um, I got it, it. When you're talking about this with Antonio Brown, it's this very slippery slope. And I have to agree with, on one hand, I agree with Shannon Sharp. Uh, Brown is a joker. He's a jokester, and he pushes the line. You know, he goes overboard, and he – I'm black. And one thing that, that Shannon Sharp said that really touched base with me is when he said, as black people, we got to stop trying to act like when a black person tries to correct another black person that there's something wrong about that. Oh, you shouldn't say that about it. And just let it – no, we don't. You know, so for me – I feel like there definitely is something mentally. It could be CTE. It could be bipolar. Uh, something mentally is going on with AB somewhere there. But I feel like he's a jokester, too. I feel like he plays on both. But I also feel like there's a layer of something emotionally wrong yeah. is going on with him as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I feel like he is he's cunning enough to thread that long. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we've seen it too much. And it, and it irks me. He gets... He really upsets me with some of those antics and other people, too, like Kanye West and, and different celebrities. But I think that there's a I think that there's going to there's a there's some mental, there's some CTE and there's some emotional and social uh, disorders going on with him. But I, I do think that there is a, a nice thick layer of him that's OK as well, too. And he knows exactly what the hell he's doing. Help us with, you know, when Shannon Sharp says, you know, we. You know, you try to correct another black person and you get shouted down saying you're trying to bring him down. Help us why, help us understand why that is a topic of conversation. In the black community, there's, a, there's always been a lot of, um, there's, not a, a lot of, there's not enough unity. And so you're going to have, on one hand, you'll have some uh, black folks that feel like unity means co-signing some BS that you see another black person doing. And then you have other black people that feel like, no, we need to correct them and get them on the right path because because as a unit, we need to be a unit. We need to, you know, you have strength in numbers. Yeah. And so when we're divided, you know, as a community, the way that you see the black community is to some degree divided, that's what shit, that's what Shannon Sharp is touching on. He's, yeah. he's, he's tired of black people trying to stick up and trying to honor the BS, the bull job is what he calls it. And I, and I totally feel him on that because it makes it hard for decent black folks to be taken seriously and to be respected when you got so many other black folks that honor all that bull job. Maurice in Portland, thank you for that call. Important call. I love that. You know, I had, I had my idea of why I thought, but I loved hearing that from Maurice. I want you to leave it here. More of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. you got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Take some more phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the number. Plus, I had a Larry David moment today. I'll tell you about it in a moment. Mark's in Portland. Mark, help us out with Antonio Brown. What do you think? Well, I've been a uh, longtime Steeler fan, as you know, and uh, I, I see this as a guy who's, you know, from the almost from the beginning of his career, you could see the signs of him, total narcissistic, just like Le'Veon Bell. They never cared about the team, or you never heard them talk about all I care about is winning a championship. Take uh, Heinz Ward and Jerome Bettis. Those two guys, that's all they cared about was winning a you know, championship, and uh Antonio Brown seemed to never really care about that. It was in Le'Veon Bell, and I just think it's a it's a it's a hard nut to crack, John, because he who loves himself will have no rivals. Antonio Brown thinks he's doing everything right right now, no matter what anybody tells him, and I can sense that in what you're saying. It, who's gonna Who's gonna uh, help this guy? I mean, he won't listen to anybody, and and Tom Brady opened his door. And, and and got him back into the NFL. We all know Antonio Brown is a tremendous talent. He's probably more talented than than Swan and, and uh, Heinz Ward, but he's not a better team player than those guys. And th- there's a big difference. He's an individual in a team sport. And um, I can't speak for his medical issues, but, but the guy really frustrated me as a Steeler fan. Him and Le'Veon Bell with, with Big Ben, they could have won titles together if, if that was their focus. And that was their goal, but these guys' goal is money and power, and and uh, it's a sad thing to watch because he he was one of the best receivers in the NFL. Nobody can dispute that if you look at his stats. Yeah, fantastic talent. Uh, I I just have a feeling it's going to end it's going to end badly. Sean, Stephen, parting thoughts on Antonio Brown. Anna, go ahead too. Yeah, I mean it is tough because like that caller said, he is one of the more talented receivers. Uh, you know, in NFL history, and for a stretch there, he was really awesome. So it's unfortunate to see just kind of how the career has spiraled out of control. And he was, you know, you, you see, especially in the NFL, if you're good and talented, you get lots of opportunities, a lot more chances. And he did that, and he's kind of ruined them all. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate to watch, and hopefully, you know, nothing seriously bad happens to him. But you know, it, it's tough to say. Yeah, I, I think it's just you know. When I think about who reported on the the video and who shared the video uh, of him in that pool in Dubai, like I didn't see it from ESPN, I didn't see him from Bleacher Report, I saw it from TMZ, right? So I I think you know there's something to be said about how much should we be sharing and how much should we be drawing attention to some of his recent behaviors because obviously you know there's a lot of like a lot of callers said the more attention you bring to it, the more he's going to continue to uh, continue to do it, and it's not good. I actually think, yeah, I get the point, but I actually think Antonio Brown's going to do it anyway. Um, I, I, I don't say that it's going to end badly like I'm hoping it ends badly, but I just feel like there have been a number of people who have tried to get to him. NFL teams, they had their own, let's make no mistake, the NFL teams wanted Antonio Brown in uniform because he's a talent. They, you know, I don't think they really cared that much about him as a person, but I think there are a variety of people who have tried to help him, and I, and I frankly think, like, I'm a little disappointed in Tom Brady, too, because, like, people are saying Antonio Brown is wrong for what he's posting about Giselle and all this stuff and taking advantage. This guy invited you into his home. I also would say, like, you invited him into your home. You put him around your wife and kids. Like, I put a little bit of this on on Tom Brady, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what that conversation was. I, I think he might have lived at one of Tom Brady's homes that – 
the Brady family wasn't actually occupying mm. at the time. But, I mean, I hope it doesn't end poorly for Antonio Brown because, I mean, you know, the the pattern of behavior, the um, entanglement with law enforcement, you know, police have said that he attacked a moving truck driver. Um, a judge did require at one point that he undergo a mental health evaluation as terms of his bail agreement. I wonder if that ever actually happened. And the mother of his children has even publicly said that yeah. she would distance from him until he seeks the mental health that he desperately needs. So it's clear that there are people around him that are also seeing what's happening. And it's just my hope that someone can get to him and reason with him, you know, to, to get help before ultimately he hurts himself further or hurts someone else. Are the Mariners going to matter in the Major League Baseball playoffs? Plus a Larry David moment. More on that next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Mariners in the playoffs. T-Mobile Park will not be hosting games, but they'll be hosting wildcard watch parties. First playoff game since 2001. American League Wild Card Series. They're guaranteed games on Friday and Saturday, and then a Game 3 potentially on Sunday coming up. The games will be broadcast on Mariners Vision, and they're selling t tickets for 10 bucks to get into T-Mobile Park to watch the team play. They should just let people in free. What are they doing? 10 bucks. You need the 10 bucks, really? I know. You're the Mariners. You're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, I want to say something about the Mariners. Fantastic. For a lot of Mariner fans who listen to this show, it's been a long time coming, okay? Playoff drought finally looks like the Mariners have it together. But somebody asked me the other day, they said, are the Mariners good enough to win? You know, baseball is a different game. Any given day in baseball. Best teams in baseball still lose about 60 of the 162 games a year that they play. So anything can happen in a three-game series. Certainly the Mariners could win a three-game wild-card series. Certainly they have the pitching to do it. Um, so anything can happen. I'll preface it by saying that. That said, the Braves last year had a record that wasn't that good. you know. But we have seen the wild-card teams in Major League Baseball's playoffs fare very well. And the Braves, as a wild-card and an 88-game winner last year, went on to win the World Series. But the difference between the Braves of last year the Mariners of this year, is that the Braves of last year entered the postseason red hot. I mean, they were on fire. I think they won 15 of their last 17. This year's Mariners, you know, they're kind of, they're stumbling into the playoffs, stumbling into the wild card. So I don't love them in the wild card for that reason. Sometimes you get wild card teams that play really well and they make the postseason. They grab the final wild card. Those are dangerous teams because they're, competing 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 in the last two three weeks of the season the Mariners a little bit banged up pitching staff not as good as they have been in the regular season they're playing some bad competition and still struggling like they, they had like six games with the A's in the last 10 uh, but you know they got there I got to give them credit for it they got there but they're just kind of stumbling around right now so if you're a Mariner fan who's holding out hope that they make some noise in the playoffs, I think you have to really hold out hope that the pitching staff, the starting pitching in particular, 
is just going to be dominant, lights out. They're going to have to win games that way. And, and, you know, I give them a puncher's chance in this wild card playoff series coming up this weekend. I admire the Mariners fans that have stuck with them all this time, you know, because I was reading that the last time the Mariners were in the postseason was September of 2001. Let's see what was happening then. Tom Brady was making the first start of his NFL career for the New England Patriots, and the original iPod was still just under a month away from being released. That's how long it's been since yeah. the Mariners went yeah. to the postseason. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy to think that what the Mariner fans have been through. You know, uh, I'll even go back. Let's go back to the uh, you know, let's go back to the American League Championship Series. 1995. They would love a base hit into the gap, and they could win it with junior speed, the stretch. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My Martinez with a double ripped down the left field line and they are going crazy at the kingdom. There it is. Dave Niehaus on the call. Edgar Martinez with the two-run double that uh, sent the Mariners over the Yankees into the American League Championship Series. And uh, there it was, 1995. Did you see that the kid who is from Puyallup, Washington, 17-year-old kid who was attending his first ever Major League Baseball game. He caught the home run ball that sent the Mariners to the playoffs yeah. and gave it back to, is it Cal Raleigh? Raleigh? Cal Raleigh? Gave it back to him. What's he supposed to do? Isn't Take that it home? sweet? That was, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. I'm sure the usher immediately grabbed the kid, though, and was like, hey, you want some tickets? You want a jersey and a bat? <laughs> well, I hope so. You know? Yeah. I think it would be nice, like, you know, just there should be like a, like baseball should come up with a system for balls like that. Yeah. Like, here's here's the acceptable market rate for the ball. Uh-huh. And it should be in game tickets. Yeah. This memorabilia stuff, you know, the players, it should have to be, like, it should be in game tickets mm-hmm. or money. Yeah, you catch the ball. That hey, that ball's worth. It's worth fifteen hundred bucks. It's like winning the lottery. Yeah, the Aaron Judge ball. The value should have been set before the game. Yeah, like Aaron Judge trying to tie Roger Maris or break Roger Maris's record. The value of that ball should be set before the game. Now, can we get to the Larry David moment? Oh yeah, that. Okay, guys, tell me, tell me if you think this is nuts. But you know, Anna and I go to this restaurant that serves soup. More specifically, it serves pho. Yes. Okay? So it's like beef noodle soup with other things added into it. (laughs) Now, there's three sizes that the soup comes in. Tell me if I'm crazy here. It's regular size, and then for $2 more, you get a large, and then for $4 more, you get what they call the supper bowl. Not the super bowl, the supper bowl. Okay? (laughs) Now, when the bowls come to the table, Anna ordered regular I ordered large. The large bowl looks bigger, but we kind of have this sneaking suspicion that the, it contains the same amount of soup. It's not a suspicion to me. I think it's the same amount <laughs> of soup. You think it's the same amount. And it's just an upcharge. Is it, is it a poor form if we brought like a third bowl to do a measurement? 
Or we ask them for a third bowl and we try to pour both in and we see which, like, is that poor form, guys? Um, I don't know that it's good form. No. I mean, you're probably right that they, I don't know what to do. That's a tough one. <laughs> it's tough because, you know, out of, you know, you should, you shouldn't be ripped off like that. But I feel like if you bring a bowl in, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I, I said to the guy, the server guy, and I said, hey, the, which one holds more? And he pointed and he said, the bigger bowl. And I said, is it really bigger? And he just smiled. He walked away. He didn't help me. I feel like he, like he knows I'm onto their secret. They're going to close shop and move. The 5 at 5 is coming up. I want you to leave it here as we have the five biggest stories next. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Maybe I need to go into that restaurant with some measuring equipment. We just need to bring a, like a food scale, you know, a little scale. It's liquids, though. We're not, we're not, what if one bowl's heavier than the other bowl? Well, that's why, so we just got to bring a third bowl. Yeah, we bring a third <laughs> bowl that's empty. Or yeah. you just ask them, can we get another bowl? Yeah. And then you pour everything in your bowl into it and then we look at where it goes what what's yeah. the line on it we tried to do that experiment today with what was left of our ice water it didn't work we don't have enough water you don't have to eat at this place you know if you're skeptical about their uh about well, their it's practices yeah, it's really good i just want to check out bomb and ramen in forest grove <laughs> <laughs> i just want to know i want to know <laughs> i love how he's plugging his friend's food truck <laughs> i want to know if <laughs> I'm getting the best deal. I don't mind paying the extra two bucks for the bigger bowl, but I want to know there's actually more food in the bigger bowl. Like, you know, at Starbucks, I've seen people pour, you know, the grande cup, the tall cup. They've gone oh, back yeah. and forth. I'm dubious about that as well. Yeah. I think they just add more ice, like if it's yeah. an iced coffee. I just walk around cynical and skeptical of everywhere I go. Who's ripping me <laughs> off? We should do a whole segment. We do, we do a, uh, you know, what's your peeve on Fridays. Yeah. And we do the big splash. That's, you know, a big story. We do the five at five. We, we should just do who's ripping us off. And then we <laughs> talk about who's ripping us off today. New segment. Yeah. New benchmark coming soon. In the meantime, the five at five. The five at five. I'll start in the NFL where the Denver Broncos will play on Thursday night against the Indianapolis Colts. The game will be on Amazon Prime. Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson officially listed as quote-unquote limited on the team's injury report. Right shoulder injury. But he told reporters today he expects to be a full go for the Thursday night game. I find it interesting that in college football, Coaches try to be cryptic. Players try to be cryptic. Nobody quite knows. Is Chance Nolan playing this week? Not playing. In the NFL where they have rules that protect the players and what status they have, you know, and requires the team to tell us if they fully practiced, you know, college athletics should have similar rules. Some of these rules are there to protect the public who are wagering on these games. I find it interesting that the NFL requires the Denver Broncos to be accurate and honest about Russell Wilson's status for the game, while college programs, eh, they can fudge all they want. Not saying Oregon State's wrong. Don't at me. 
I'm just saying maybe the uh, system needs a revamp. But Russell Wilson, he says he'll be a full go on Thursday. We'll see. Anna, number two, go. All right, so you know those two fishermen who got caught cheating in the fishing competition? Yeah, those bums in Ohio. Yeah, Chase Kaminsky and Jake Runyon. Well, turns out they may be in the crosshairs of the law now. I know we talked about this, but the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office in Ohio, where this happened, says that they're meeting with officers from the Ohio Department of Natural Resources and that they are taking all crimes seriously, including attempted felony theft at a fishing tournament. And I think it's because of the prize money. I mean, this was like not small potatoes. It was nearly $30,000 that these two stood to win had their cheating not been uncovered. Get a metal detector out there next time. Save everybody the drama. (laughs) Number three, Portland Thorns owner Merritt Paulson and Chicago Red Stars owner Artem Whistler are both stepping away from decision-making roles with their NWSL clubs. They'll do that until findings are released from an ongoing investigation. Paulson also owns the Timbers, of Major League Soccer. He announced his decision in a statement today, just the day after the release of findings of a disturbing independent investigation into the abuse scandals that were commissioned by U.S. Soccer. There's another investigation still being conducted jointly by the league and the players union. Merritt Paulson said in his statement that he will step away until that report is complete. Anna, number four. Staying on the cheating theme, the poker world rocked by cheating allegations during a live stream show. What? So this was at the Hustler Casino live tournament, and this game, this, you know, apparent cheating occurred during a game of Texas Hold'em. Garrett Adelstein accused the winner, Robbie J. Lou, of cheating during the live stream. Now, Lou won $270,000. But she later gave the money back. What? She accused Adelstein of bullying her, and there was no evidence on scene that she cheated. But her returning that money off camera is sparking some speculation. And now Hustler Casino Live is saying that they're going to launch a full review to see if any cheating occurred. Why is it that people, like, if you can't win, shouldn't be cheating. It's terrible. They might use polygraph testing. Finally! The 49ers got it done. They defeated the reigning Super Bowl champion Rams, who struggled last night in a 24-9 loss. Niners got the W. Debo Samuel looked terrific. Really troubling, though, when you look at the Rams and their trajectory this season. Rams struggling. Not unusual for teams coming off a Super Bowl to have a bit of a hangover, but, man, this one looks like a doozy. Niners took care of business, and again, this isn't a great 49ers team. They just got it done in Santa Clara as the Niners defeat the Rams 24-9. That's the 5-5. at Uh, Matthew Stafford's been sacked 16 times in four games. Rams have some problems on the offensive line. Uh, Debo Samuel is terrific. I don't know if the Rams knew that Debo is a pretty good player. Maybe should have done a better job on him, but... Uh, Jimmy Garofalo and the 49ers walk-off winners last night. Guys, what's going on at the NFL? Are, are the Niners a contender, or is this more? does this say more about the Rams or the Niners? 
think it says more about the Rams. The Rams have not been impressive at all this year. And to me, it's a, it's a team that, you know, like after they won that Super Bowl, there were signs like Sean McVay thought about retiring. Aaron Donald thought about retiring. And it's kind of, you know, some guys did retire, like Andrew Whitworth, their left tackle. And it's showing now that they just other, other teams are hungrier than them. So I'm glad the Niners got their revenge last night. And to me, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC right now. I, I think the Eagles are, you know, and the Packers and the Buccaneers, I think, are in line before the uh, the Niners in the NFC to me. I don't love the Niners. Like, I, I've said that from the beginning of the season. But look at the NFL. You know, normally at this point of the season, we've got, you know, two or three or four teams that remain undefeated after four weeks. The Philadelphia Eagles are 4-0. and That's it. Everybody else is 3-1, and 2-2, and 1-3. and This is the most NFL season ever in the NFL. Like, it's literally, look at the NFC South. It's the Buccaneers and Falcons at 2-2. Two and two tied atop the South. Look at the West. It's the Niners, Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals, all two and two. It, I think it says as much about the league as anything. Like, it's just really wide open. I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's more about the Rams. I mean, you look at the, the weapons that they have or lack thereof because it's Cooper Cup, and that's about it. You know, you look at Matthew Stafford. He's having a hard time, you know, getting the ball out because the he has no protection. And then when he throws it to anyone else besides Cooper Cup, it's not working out. So, yeah, I mean, they've definitely taken a step back. And this, you know, it seems like it's the Bills and kind of everybody else. And the Bills even lost the game. So I'm with you. It's a weird NFL season, but, uh, you know, hopefully it makes it an entertaining one. I th- is, it, is it better than the NBA where we get, you know, in the NFL right now, if we're looking at NFL teams that have a chance to win it all, I mean, we could talk about the Bills. We can, the Dolphins, if they're healthy. We can talk about the Bengals maybe getting it back together. We can talk about the Chiefs or the Chargers, the Eagles, maybe the Cowboys. I don't know if Dak can hold on to the football. Packers, Vikings, Buccaneers, Falcons, probably not a factor. But, you know, Rams, maybe if they get it together, or the Cardinals. But, like, it feels different than the NBA where we all kind of look and go, hey, there's like four teams that could win it all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you could argue a lot of teams in the NFL right now just – you know, uh, f- you know, with four games into the season, that you know they they could get it together and have a chance to win the NF or the Super Bowl. Where in the NBA, it's basically you know four or five teams, and that's about it. We talked about the Blazers earlier in the show; like they don't have a chance to win the NBA Finals, no matter how well they play. They can't get to that level this season. So I think it's better for the NFL, and it's all you know that is why the NFL is so popular with all the parity. The thing I'll say about the NFL though is it feels like it's dependent on who stays healthy. You know, like the Chargers came in. I actually picked the Chargers out of the AFC, and I picked them against the Eagles, by the way. But uh, now they're two and two, and uh, they have all sorts of injuries, and no one, no one cares about them anymore. You know, as a Dolphins fan, they're three and zero, oh, and I feel on top of the world. And now two is out, and I feel like we're a middle of the road team. So it's it's all about who stays healthiest. So we'll have to see. Steven, you are big on sort of looking for opportunities and wagering because there's so much parity right now. Are there future opportunities in the NFL? I think definitely. Uh, you touched on one, and uh, it's the Cowboys right now. And their odds have gone down a little bit the last couple of weeks with Cooper S winning. But with Dak Prescott coming back, I think that that team actually is very talented. I think they are probably the one team right now, you know, out of the you know the top of the teams. You know, you look down a little bit. They are right now twenty five to one. So I think that's a pretty good opportunity. Um, I, I looked at the other way, John, and I bet on the commanders to be the worst team and the fewest wins. So I was having a hard time coming up with like a champion, but I could say, you know what? I think this team could be terrible and be a real train wreck. And so I kind of bet the other way. There is a bet on the board right now with a Pac-12 team. 
Colorado. Will they win a game this season? The Buffaloes have not been good. They have an interim coach. They uh, are getting a bye week this week, but they host Cal when they come back from the bye. Then they're at Oregon State. They're home against Arizona State. I only bring that up because I think in that three-week period sits Colorado's only chance to possibly win a game. Does Colorado football win a game this season? Oh, man, I think uh, I'm going to go yes. I think they pull one off. I think it's probably this game against Cal uh, with the week off. I think they could get that one. But you touched on Arizona State as well. That's a that's a that's one that they could get. I think they do get one of those three, but that's their only opportunity. I think it's dependent on whether this interim co- this interim coach can coach and, and whether he fires the guys back up because we've seen that in the Pac-12 in recent years. Teams kind of get re- revitalized. Yeah, yeah uh, but that, that's that's what I'm asking. Will Do they yeah. win a game? I, I think Arizona State. Of course State, it's dependent on him firing them up. Right, they don't right. win a game if he doesn't. So I don't think it's going to happen. Do they ha- or don't they? It's not going to happen against Wilcox, and it's not going to happen against Jonathan Smith. I think it can happen against Arizona State because that's two corpses playing against each other, basically. <laughs> I think Arizona State might have too much offense for them because I, I just don't know if Colorado can – you know, Colorado got to 20 last week. Like, I, they hadn't got to 20 since last season when they played Oregon State. So they had gone like seven straight games without scoring 20 points in a game. They got to 20. That was a ma- major breakthrough for Carl Durrell. I'm going to say no. I, I just – like, I think Cal ties them in a pretzel. I think Oregon State, they're not beating Oregon State. Arizona State, I think they can get to 20. They can score more than 20. So I think they're a problem. And then it's Oregon, USC, Washington, and Utah. I, I think, John, I, I think you're right. If they can get to 20 against Cal, that's the way they win. But yeah. how do you do that against the Wilcox defense? That's yeah. the tough question. But I do, th- I, I kind of think they're going to get one of these wins. Isn't it crazy that last season, Colorado and Arizona were the two dead programs, but you know, Colorado hosted them and they killed the Wildcats. And then this year, you know, those two teams play again and it was completely the opposite. Arizona yeah. killed them. And I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty indicative of, you know, the job that Jed Fish is doing and just h- how much better Arizona has been doing as a program over the last year than Colorado with similar resources. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750. The game. What was that place you gave a shout-out to, Bomb and Robin? Bomb right? and Robin, yeah. Okay, so DoorDash, DoorDash lady, Oregon Duck lady on Twitter, says she had just dropped off an order from Bomb and Robin right before that shout-out. No way. That's so, so cool. There it is. There was it that is. orchestrated? Do you know Oregon Duck lady? No, no, no. No, no, no. You, I do not. You know the Bomb and Robin guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my best friends runs Bomb and Robin. I love that. Yeah, right. I actually, I was at a food truck in Beaverton last night, and I sent him a photo of a different ramen place and was oh, like, boy. don't worry, like, I didn't go to it. I'm loyal to you. And then he was like, no, 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 I actually, I like that guy. He, that's good food there. You can, you can, you can order from there, but I didn't. I always am, I'm always of the mindset that, like, I even consider this radio show, it's, you know, it's kind of like our food truck. I'm okay if you eat at other food trucks, because I know if you go to another food truck, another radio station, another show, you're going to go, oh, I'm going back to Kanzano's show because that show made me smarter or that show entertained me or whatever. I, I, I always look at it as an opportunity. So if I'm the bomb and ramen guy, I want you to eat some other ramen and go, nope, not as good. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's speaking like a true businessman. I, I like that. Got to have some confidence in your game is what I'm saying. Let's play some punch it audio. We got it. The best sound from all around, including Aaron Judge going deep. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Aaron Judge. He's chasing history. He's looking for number 62. Yankees Rangers. Here's the pitch. High fly ball. Deep left. There it goes. Sailing into history. He's done it. He has done it. 62. Aaron Judge is the American League single season home run leader. The AL King. Case closed. He is the junior circuits all-time leader. The American League record now 62 home runs. Breaking a tie with Roger Maris, he surpassed the babe when he hit number 61. But Aaron Judge made a little bit of history. I like this better than the history that was tying Maris seventh most home runs all time and everybody acting like it was actual history. Like... You were tied with Roger Maris. Now the the record in the American League is 62. Take a victory lap. Touch them all, Aaron Judge. You got there. LeBron James talking about Kareem. He's trying to break his scoring record this season. LeBron was asked, does he have a relationship with Kareem? Is he close with him? Punch it. LeBron, would you having a chance to get the all-time scoring record this year? Do you have any thoughts on Kareem? And also, if you have a relationship with him? No. No thoughts. And no relationship. Last tip for LeBron. Thanks. All right, for sure. It's really interesting. He kind of, you could feel how frigid that is as he was asked there. You know, the Lakers also lost 105 to 75 to the Sacramento Kings to open their preseason. So, you know, part of it may be rooted in the fact that uh, they're, you know, not supposed to be happy after a loss or whatever. But, he also acknowledged some disagreements with Kareem a week ago at Media Day. Kareem has been critical of LeBron's stances and views, and at the end of it, um, it's really interesting to see a franchise that has some history. Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kareem, LeBron, but, you know, behind closed doors, Kareem, well-versed in social justice, has been occasionally critical of LeBron, and LeBron doesn't appear to like it. Why are they, why are they so frosty there, Stephen? I, I don't know. I don't know the whole backstory of this. It seems very petty for both people to not like each other, but, yeah. you know. Ego. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. I know Kareem was upset about LeBron expressing his support for players who did not take the COVID vaccine. He got upset at him for that, thought he should have been more of a leader and, he also you know, called out, Kareem called out Kyrie. And yeah. so, you know, LeBron and Kyrie are still boys, I believe. So that might have been, you know, another thing. I also think this is a case of, like, it's the very start of the season. The Lakers just got smashed in a preseason game. He just doesn't really care about talking about it right now. So that was yeah. just kind of his way of saying, like, this season, don't ask me about all this stuff as much. He's sending yeah, a message. Too bad. It's part of the story. Debo Samuel and the Niners looked pretty good last night on Monday Night Football. 
Nice catch, nice run. Punch it. Leaping catch made on a quick throw at the 50 by Samuel. Broke a tackle 45, breaks an tackle, tackle 40. He's on the hash mark for 30. He's being chased as he comes to the near side, 25. Broke a tackle at the 20. Sideline 10, 5, touchdown! What a run after the catch, Debo Samuel! He's so dangerous with the ball after he catches it. Broke four tackles, six catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. Debo Samuel in the Niners beat the Rams 24-9. During the game, a fan ran onto the field and got tackled by Bobby Wagner. Here's Kevin Harlan on the radio call. Punch it. And here comes a stoppage in play because someone has run on the field with a smoke bomb that is pink and he's running up the sideline. Now a couple of Rams come over there and make the tackle. Head first into the player who has taken the field and he's in a cloud of pink smoke so you can't see him and now on him are a couple of security guards Kevin I think this is becoming a thing we got the pink smoke coming again this is one of those gender reveals somebody at home's having a girl now well I thought maybe <laughs> I thought maybe that the last one we saw was uh, for some animal rights or something like that oh yeah I, I don't know I, I just think hey you think about the way to reveal that you're having a, a, a girl. I'm going to run out on the field at the 49er game and get arrested just so I can let my honey at home know we're having a girl. That guy is headed to the slammer. And it will not be a good night. And they take a look at him over there, and our clock is at 41 seconds to go. Everybody on their feet, and there is a murmur here. It is not a gender reveal, although, you know, in this day and age, who knows? It is rather a grassroots animal rights network, Right to Rescue. They're protesting uh, a couple of factory farm whistleblowers who are on trial. So two Bay Area residents ran onto the field. Bobby Wagner absolutely trucked the guy who was running and disrupting the game. I actually think this could be a deterrent. Turn the NFL linebackers and safeties loose on protesters. Is that his best call for a fan running on the field? Because I have his <laughs> other one. Oh, let's do it. You want to cue that up? All right, let's go. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The 20, they're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop Look that out. man. Here comes the blue coat, Kevin. Oh, they got him. Here they're comes coming the blue from the coat. left. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Kevin Harlan on the call. I think the second one was way better. Agreed. Yeah. That was a good one. He's banging his chest. The guy I, is drunk. I, I, it's interesting to declare someone drunk. You can get in trouble for that. You know, you have to say they appear intoxicated or they appear to be drinking. But saying someone's drunk, you can get in trouble for that. I got a cease and desist order one time because I said that Darius Miles showed up to practice and uh, he appeared to be that he was drinking. He smelled like alcohol, whatnot. His uh, agents in a cease and desist order, which I, I, I don't really understand. But uh, in there, they were sort of claimed that I had said he was drunk. And I said, no, 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 I didn't. We, we went back to the tape. I did not say he was drunk. I know better than that. He appeared to be intoxicated. That's how you say it. Allegedly. Kevin Harlan. Allegedly. There you go, Kevin Harlan. Dan Lanning talking about Bo Nix.
Also talking about the University of Arizona. By the way, Dan Lanning thinks Arizona's receivers are the best wide receivers that Oregon has faced this season. Punch it. Yeah, I think this is maybe the the most talented team we've placed, uh, played so far at wideout. You know, they have really, really talented wideouts, but I think this quarterback really can play play well. Um, he throws, you know, lasers. He throws the ball on, on uh, rhythm, on a dart, and he doesn't need a big window to be able to attack. He's able to extend plays with his feet. Um, so this is a really good challenge for us. There hasn't been a lot of teams that have really slowed them down offensively. They've only maybe hurt themselves a couple times, to be honest. So they've done a really good job. They, they get the ball downfield. They take long shots. So this will be a really good challenge. Jaden Delore is the quarterback. And Dan Lenning's right. I mean, I think they've got some talent at the wide receiver position. But Delora is the guy making the plays. And while he makes the plays, he's good for one bad one every game. So I think Oregon takes advantage there. I think it's a real challenge for the Oregon defense. But I'm kind of thinking, you know, as I start to progress along the week, I'm, I'm really thinking about who I'm going to pick in these games. Uh, I'm going to pick Oregon to win this game. But I'm trying to figure out where is Arizona going to be in this game. And I kind of feel like Arizona can score about... 34, 31. I think it's a high-scoring game. Can Oregon score more than 34 or 31 against Arizona? I think they can. John, we were, I was throwing this around, you know, to Sean and to Judah. Are the Ducks the best offense in the Pac-12? They are explosive. And so Bo Nicks. I, I, yeah. yeah, I looked at I this. Mean, besides the Eastern Washington game where they scored 70, they've averaged 43 points in the Georgia yeah. game. Throw those games out. 43 in the other three games. I think Kenny Dillingham's auditioning for that Arizona State job, by the way, you know, by, by letting it loose. But we're watching, like, Bo Nix used his feet in this last game against Stanford more than he had in other games. And I know everybody joked about him running or whatnot or being a dual-threat guy. I, I kind of think this is intentional. This is just the point of the season where they want to present him as a threat because the last six games are a gauntlet. But Oregon's offense... Trying to think who would be better. You USC. Know, U- UCLA with Dorian Thompson Robinson. I don't I don't love USC's I don't like USC's offense as much as Oregon. I think if you you know, Sean asked me earlier, I think, who I would pick if Oregon Oregon unfortunately doesn't play USC in the regular season, but on a neutral field, I I think Oregon's a little better offensively than USC. But let's see how this goes. They got a common opponent and it's Utah. They got another common opponent, UCLA. Let's see how they fare against those two teams. John, can I ask you a question? You know, Kenny Dillingham, I've been really impressed with him this year, um, especially after the Mario Cristobal experience offensively. But he's 32 years old, and the youngest FBS coach is Dan Lanning, and he's 36. Do you realistically think that someone would hire him right now? I think that what happens in college athletics, more than anything, is when someone gets fired, they always try to course correct 180 degrees different. And I think the... The opportunity Dillingham has is there's a familiarity with him at Arizona State, coach there, from Arizona, has got roots there. But Herm Edwards being a 68-year-old head coach and Dillingham being 32, that's a course correction. You're going with a young, offensive-minded guy who has you know some proof of performance and some familiarity in the conference. I think Dillingham's going to be a candidate. I don't know if he's going to get it because Arizona State might just think they – they can get somebody who's a, you know, former sitting head coach. Certainly they would be in the Paul Christ sweepstakes if it comes to that. But I, I think he's in it. I think he'll get an interview. 
Dan Lanning talking about the dual threat of Bo Nix. Punch it. Yeah, I mean, knowing Bo and going against Bo for for a long time myself and then Coach Dillingham's familiarity with Bo, we, we knew how athletic Bo is. Um, he's really talented. He's, he's probably as fast a quarterback as there is uh, out there. The guy runs really well and uh, made some really good decisions there on Saturday to put himself in a position where he can run with the ball, but he's done that consistently this season. Um, so no, no surprise for, for anybody in our building. The only knock I have on Oregon's offense is I haven't seen them play against a defense that's been playing consistently great. BYU seems a little up and down. Washington State, we thought they were good on defense. Turned out maybe they're not. So I think I want to see Oregon against Cal. I want to see Oregon against Washington. I want to see Oregon against Utah, especially on November 19th. But... Bo Nix using his feet it reminds me a little bit of when Oregon finally let Justin Herbert run a little bit. Really good athlete. They didn't want to get him hurt. I get all that. But in this game, in this era, if you can use your feet, you can kill people as a quarterback. Caleb Williams does it. Bo Nix does it. Michael Penix Jr. does it. Dorian Thompson Robinson does it. Like, you know, the good quarterbacks in the conference. Cam Rising even does it at Utah. The good quarterbacks in this conference get get it done that way, and they'll hurt you. That's Punch and Audio. More ahead, we'll talk specifically about Utah. Uh, they've got a big weekend coming up against UCLA. They will play USC after that. And what's the path for the Oregon Ducks to a conference title? What are those obstacles, the true obstacles that are in their path? It's changed a little bit in the last couple of weeks. I'll talk about it next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I don't think the Blazers are moving to Seattle. People keep emailing me. They keep messaging me. They're going, hey, what does it mean that they played a game in Seattle? That, you know, is this, should we be worried about this? Uh, I don't think you should be worried about it. Uh, I'll quickly tell you why, and then we will pivot to talking about the Pac-12 conference and some football. But I said it off the top of the show today that I I believe the Blazers absolutely would love to expand their territory. Their broadcast rights extend. Every, every team in pro sports has sort of what they call their territorial rights. The Blazers' territorial rights extend all the way to Boise, Idaho, all the way up to Seattle, probably into Alaska because there's just nothing north and nothing uh, more valuable than extra turf. So the Blazers gobbling up that territorial uh, broadcast area and the rights to that area in a way that will be advantageous to their front office should the NBA expand into Seattle. Um, Not only does it help get you fans and revenue in the short term, that when the NBA does expand, and they will expand, and I think they will add Seattle, and I think they will add Las Vegas as NBA teams, the team that goes into Seattle will pay the Blazers for that territory. So much like the Baltimore Orioles asked the Washington Nationals for a payday, I think the Blazers will have their hand out when Seattle replaces the NBA team via expansion. Why don't I think the Blazers are the candidate? to be that expansion team or that relocation team, well, NBA owners would like to get paid themselves. And the way they get paid, the quickest route to a 
pile of money is by expanding the league and charging expansion fees that could be north of $2 billion, $3 billion for NBA teams to set up shop. Like originally the estimates were $2 billion. Like I think we're starting to see that the Phoenix Suns will sell for north of $2 billion. It could be two and a half, three, three and a half billion dollars So I think the NBA is probably looking at a total of about $6 billion in expansion fees for the Las Vegas and Seattle teams. The other NBA owners are not going to want the Blazers to cannibalize that expansion fee. They're going to want their couple $300 million that they're all going to get. So they are not going to vote to allow a team to move to Seattle. That said, I definitely think that Burt Cold, the vice chair of the Blazers, and Jody Allen, the trustee who has a franchise in a stranglehold, I definitely think they would love, when they do sell the Blazers, to have the flexibility, the portability, they call it, of the franchise to be a selling point. So I think they would love the idea that Seattle's a wide-open market, and hey, if you don't like Portland, you could always move this thing to Seattle. They'd love that to be part of their auction. Uh, But really moving this team, it would require a vote of the NBA Board of Governors, and it would require... 25% 25% of the league's owners to go, eh, I don't need another two or $300 million. You go ahead and move to Seattle. That's not going to happen. Like, I could reach out. I'll reach out. I'll ask Mark Cuban. I do have a line to Cuban. He answers once in a while. It, I'll ask him, is Portland to Seattle something that the Board of Governors would support? And I guarantee you the answer is going to be nope. The owners want that money. So get that out of your head. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 conference. Utah's going to UCLA, big game. Washington State's playing at USC, big game. We'll talk about those two games, plus the next couple of weeks. What are we hoping to learn about this conference? How well positioned are the Ducks? Can the Beavers get it back on track? Is Washington going to rebound from their Friday night face plan against UCLA? And, by the way, is the best team in L.A. really USC? Let's kick that around next. We'll take your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's talk about the Pac-12 Conference, what we expect to learn in the next couple of weeks. I got uh, some thoughts on that. I want yours as well. Who's the best team in the Pac-12? 503-417-7575. The answer, my answer to that for now is Utah. But we're going to learn. I mean, Utah's playing at UCLA. They're playing at USC. Uh, earlier in the season, we were looking at the Pacific Northwest and going, gosh, look, the strength of this conference is the Pacific Northwest teams. First 12 games of the year, they had a combined 11-1 and record, the only loss being to Georgia. Since then, though, Washington State lost, Washington lost to UCLA. Suddenly now, as I look at the strength of the Pac-12 conference, I have gone from looking at the Pacific Northwest to suddenly going, you know, the old South Division ain't doing too bad. USC, UCLA, Utah, all undefeated in conference play. Uh, and between those three schools, they are 13-1 and in games. After that, I think it's Oregon. After that, 
I think it's a muddled mess in the middle with Washington, Washington State, maybe Oregon State. Below that, I think you got a big drop-off to Cal, Arizona, and Arizona State, Colorado, Stanford at the bottom. So um, the strength of this conference, first let's start with the question I posed right before the break. Is USC the best team in Southern California? Let's kick that around. Sean, go. Yeah, they're the best team, and I, I don't think it's that close. UCLA is good, but come on, like you know how I feel about USC. I, I do think that they're a top ten team in the country. I think they have a ton of talent. I think Utah is better than them, but I definitely think they're a step ahead of UCLA. Yeah, um, I'm still gonna go with USC, but it's obviously shrunk the the separation there. As I did, we didn't know about what UCLA was really gonna be, and then they beat Washington. They did it pretty well. Right, and so you know, John, me and you and me have been on the same page with USC yeah. all season. We think they're not not frauds, but a little yeah, over, they're, overrated. They're good. They're good. They're good. Yeah, exactly. They're good, but how good are they really? Yeah. They've gotten really lucky with the turnovers. At some point, I think they're going to lose. I I still think they're a little better than UCLA, but again, if UCLA goes and they beat Utah, I I will officially change, and I think that UCLA will be the best team in Southern California. I'm I'm looking at USC, and I'm going, you know. They're they're to me they're not Rose Bowl they're not playoff good, but they're like Holiday Bowl Alamo Bowl good, like I good but not great. And U UCLA in the you know Friday night I picked against them, and I tuned in expecting to see Washington dominate them in the first half. You know Washington throw the ball around the Rose Bowl and walk off winners, and instead what I saw was a Washington team that couldn't run the ball and played a really bad first half, and frankly, it was a Dorian Thompson-Robinson show. He was just, he was the best player on the field. And because of that, you know, I think a fifth-year senior at quarterback is a huge advantage. Obviously, it's a quarterback-centric league, but it's just, I'm, I'm pausing right now because I've gone from thinking UCLA didn't play anybody, who have they beaten, to thinking, gosh, if I'd like to see them play USC. And they're going to get Utah this week. And there's something, like, I think Utah's great, you know, or maybe great minus or good plus. Um, I, I think the end result this season may be that the Pac-12 does not have a playoff team. But I left the Utah-Oregon State game with some questions about Cam Rising, the quarterback at Utah. You know, Josh Newman, who covers the team for the Salt Lake Tribune, I'm you know, I talked to him at the end of the game, and I said, you know, there's something not quite right about Cam Rising. And he goes, you know what? He goes, that's something that the Utah fans are talking about. It's a quiet story in Utah. That, that Cam Rising had a great year last year. He was a leader. He was dynamic on the field. There's just a little bit of shine off Cam Rising's game right now. He's making good plays, not great plays. He's mostly doing the right thing, but the opening week he threw the interception. And there's just something about, like, in, in quarterback – play in the college football is so much about confidence and being comfortable and he just looks a little uncomfortable back there I don't think that USC or UCLA are the right teams to exploit that like you know that may have to come later maybe Oregon's that team like Utah there's just a little vulnerability about him that maybe wasn't there last season that I see this year so I think what Utah is going to try to do this week against UCLA is I think they're going to try to run the ball I expect them to try to run, run, run on UCLA. Washington couldn't do it. If 
Utah can run the ball in UCLA. I think they win that game, but I think they're trying to find their rhythm. Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator, I've known him for years. I probably have not been around a coach or followed a coach as much as I have followed Utah's offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator at Fresno State when I was a columnist at the Fresno Bee. He had that David Carr offense going. He later ended up at Oregon. I was here covering him. Then he went to Vanderbilt. Then he came back to Utah. They're paying him a million dollars a year to call the plays. He's a really good coordinator. I know the guy. I know his work. I, I really think this week you're going to see him get Tavion Thomas in that run game going because what they're thinking about, they're not thinking about this week. They're thinking about USC too. They want to beat UCLA, but they also, I think, need to get ready for that USC game. And in, in order to beat USC and UCLA in succession, I don't think you can lean into Cam Rising throwing the ball 40 times a game. I think they're going to have to run the ball to win those games. To me, going back to what you were talking about with Utah just missing something, well, Devin Lloyd was their leader defensively, and you know he's gone. He's killing it in the NFL with the Jaguars. And then offensively, it felt like last year, Britton Covey was just such an explosive playmaker for them, not only offensively, but special teams as well. And then also uh, Brent Keithy, and now he's out for the year. Yeah. So it feels like they still have a lot of talent, but they're missing those true leaders, you know, and they're missing so, like the heartbeats of their team from last season. I, I think Utah's got such a brutal schedule here, and they have no margin for error having already had that loss. If Even if they get 2-0 and uh, against the Southern California teams, not coming to Autzen later in the season is yeah. not going to be easy. Oregon's won 24 straight there. Uh, they haven't lost there since 2018 so yeah I agree I think Utah's pretty vulnerable right now I think Utah's going to beat UCLA I think they're going to beat USC but I think they will lose to Oregon on November 19th that's how I'm calling it now but I I just think like keep an eye on the UCLA Utah game if you if you're watching that game keep an eye and see if you can feel the offensive coordinator trying to get that run game going, not just because they need it to beat UCLA, but I think they need it for the rest of the season. That's, that's what Utah wants to do. Utah wants to run the ball, when, and, and very similar to Oregon State, when you come up and you take that run away, they'll go play action and they will kill you, and they want to play defense. And the thing that Utah does that I think probably I watched UCLA do this on Friday night against Washington, very similar now, Utah, aside from the Cam Rising interception in week one, okay, so don't at me, but Utah since then, it just doesn't beat itself. It doesn't make bad mistakes, and it's the same that can be said for UCLA. Dorian Thompson-Robinson has been pretty good. I think that's the mark of an experienced quarterback that you can trust, and so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see Utah-UCLA, but, uh, you know, I'm going to the October 15th game in Salt Lake City, USC-Utah. I'm going to that game. I'm going to cover it uh, because I think it's the biggest game of the season so far in the Pac-12 conference. Meanwhile, guys, let's, let's pivot a little bit to Oregon. Um, criticism of the Ducks right now is, you know, they haven't been perfect. They weren't perfect in beating Washington State. In fact, they needed 29 points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat Washington State. They, they blasted Stanford, but they looked a little sloppy. You know, they haven't, they, they fell asleep in the BYU game, took like, you know, a little bit in the second half, they kind of took a nap. Still won the game easily. What do you guys make of Oregon to this point? 
Yeah, they've been they've been kicking themselves a little bit. Dan Lanning would be the first to say it, uh, especially in that Stanford game. You know, I think it says everything about Stanford that in that first half, Oregon was just depleted by penalties, and yet they went into the locker room with a thirty-one to three lead. So, um, you know, I, I think Oregon just it's night and day from last season, just the way they're coached and offensively, the way they're moving the ball, the creativity offensively with Dillingham. But they still have a lot of work to do. Uh, I like that they have Arizona this week, and then they have a bye. You know, I feel pretty confident about this Arizona game for Oregon, but I think Duck fans are feeling really, really good uh, about this season right now. You know, even if it's not going to end in a uh, a Rose Bowl appearance, which I very well think it could, it just, you know, from week one where we had questions about landing, I think those questions are are erased almost completely. You know, we talked about just a little bit, you know, sleepwalking through some of the games for Oregon. I think this is another week where they can probably make some mistakes in this game and still get the win. So, you know, as you're saying, there's still a lot of things to work on for Oregon to become better because we saw the baseline against Georgia and how bad it was. You got to improve from that spot. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But if, you know, like I talked about earlier, they may be the best offense in the Pac-12. So there's a lot to be excited about in Eugene. And this should be a win over Arizona. I, uh, I feel like Oregon, you know, the opening week they played Georgia and then they got to put training wheels back on and then they've kind of just had training wheels on. I mean, the BYU game was a little dicey for them, but they, they played really well, played well enough to win. Meanwhile, um, Washington, you know, big disappointment on Friday. And again, this conference will cannibalize itself. But Washington's going to Arizona State on Saturday. And I kind of would not want to be Arizona State in this game. I think Washington is going to come out like, hey, we need to prove that we belong. And here's the other thing. Washington's schedule, soft, soft, soft. They go Arizona State, then they're home against Arizona, then they're at Cal, then they're home against Oregon State before going to Oregon on November 12th. So it lines up nice for Washington, of course, moving on. And Oregon State, I think the big question is just the quarterback. You know, I, I'm expecting Ben Gulbranson on Saturday at Stanford. I, I think neck injury, Chance Nolan, I think that's what you have to do if you're Jonathan Smith. You have to go that direction. Uh, what do we got coming up, guys, in Portland on 750 The Games? Peter Sampson in tonight? We yeah, do. Peter Sampson's here. Hey, uh, got to talk about those Rams? from yesterday's preseason Rams? game. And I got to give in to my romantic side. I have to talk a little <laughs> baseball. Aaron Judge did it tonight. Do that. Also, you got to talk about the Rams-Niners game? No. <laughs> hey, by the way, the Braves had a sacrifice. They did, you know, they were the only team all year that didn't have a sacrifice. I did not know that. That's wild. How about that? Braves finally did it. Game one sixty one. All right, leave it here for Peter Sampson in the Pulse. He's going to take you home here on seven fifty. The game. We're back tomorrow with another great show.